Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Blue Jay Beat post-game podcast. A little delayed this week, but it's Creighton, Nebraska week. We wanted to get right, so I reached out to my guy, Jahans Managa, and he's like, hey, man, let's let's do a tag team podcast, men and women. They're both playing back-to-back. They're both playing in Lincoln. Let's break them both down. Mm-hmm. Um, let's hook up from – he's in Poland, so he's seven hours away, so it's nighttime for him. It's afternoon for me, so – uh, respect to my guy staying up and and giving me his takes. Uh, we were talking off air though. I want to. Uh, this is how I want to start this thing, Jay. Uh, you got a nice little setup for these these Creighton games out there. Like, tell everybody what you were telling me <laughs> about this this legendary setup that you got for your like your Creighton game day experience. It's not. It's not quite legendary. I would I just, say. I but disagree. It is. It is, <laughs> it is a, it's definitely a step up from the way that I used to watch games, which is uh, in years past, just to watch it on the iPad, right? Which is what mm-hmm. I have overseas. I, I never bought a laptop. I just bought an iPad. It's a little bit more function, functionable for me with all the moving parts, you know. But usually, I would just sit there and watch it on my iPad. A couple of years ago, I decided to invest in a projector. And it's kind of like a mini projector. I, I bring it with me every year that I come overseas. And I always set it up uh, in my bedroom. Uh, usually, I mean, I've been kind of lucky. Usually the setup is just that uh, I have a big old white wall, no matter what bedroom that they give me. Uh-huh. And I could just kind of prop the projector up, attach my iPad to that. And boom, I have theater seating for the Jays game. As I just sit up on my bed, I'm under my sheets. I'm nice and comfy. I prop the pillows up, you know, I'm, I'm just in my zone. And then uh, as an added touch, I'll throw on my headphones so I can really hear the commentary. So when the boys played a couple of nights ago, listening to Nick Baugh break the game down, like that was super cool. I'm always happy when I see Nick Baugh, you know, on the on the set. And then watching the ladies play last night, same kind of deal. Uh, even though it was a little bit biased Big Ten Nebraska commentary, I still kind of sat through that. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's just, that's the uh, that's the setup that I have, and you know, it's it's been working for me for the last like two or three years now. So can this thing go from wall to wall? Like, is it just like a giant big screen? Uh, yeah, basically. Like, uh, I mean, you know how a projector works: the closer yeah. to the wall, the smaller the screen gets, and then the further out that you have it, it, it can look like a pretty legit screen. So where I have it propped up right now, it, it looks like pretty legit. I'm very happy with the setup. If you want, like, I'll. Uh, I'll send you a picture after maybe you yeah, can put it up it on the uh, on your like, Twitter. It's a yeah, must. and I'll, and I'll show you like kind of what it looks like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm dying to see the game day setup. Dying to see it. When you told me about it, I was like, oh yeah. my god, this sounds amazing. Um, yeah, it's dope, and all the lights are off too, so it's just like the screens like really popping. It, it's, yes. it's dope. I'm very I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> I, I'm 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 proud of you. That's like a that's that's way you put that together right there. That's that's a legit game day experience. I think you're like mm-hmm. it's almost like you're. Uh, I don't know. I think you should do live streams and charge people to watch it. Like, get the Jahan's Mana guy. Uh, now, uh, now we're getting on Twitch or something. You know what I'm saying? See, I don't know. I bet like FS1 is going to ask me that I need to share revenue uh, with them or something nonsense like that. You know how it would be. As soon as if it gives any sort of popularity that people are watching the yeah. game with me as I'm live tweeting or whatever, like they're yeah. going to find a way to tax me. And I just don't need that. <laughs> I just want to watch the Jays in my own bedroom under my covers, be nice and comfortable and have like the neighbors that are laying right behind me absolutely hate my guts because I'm yelling at every official call that I dislike. So 
that that's just what I want, and and I'm okay with that. I understand. Let's 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 stay humble. That's fair. Um, <laughs> like, give me your give me your like your impressions of. Uh, let's start with the men's game on uh, Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. So you know that one. I imagine you were hyped from the jump because they got off to. I mean, Nebraska did jump on them a little bit first couple possessions, mm-hmm. but um, you know I think the J, when the Jays settled in and they got into a big role, like Alex O'Connell channeled all that like. Duke hatred energy <laughs> into the yeah, hostile yeah. environment, <laughs> into the hostile environment. And, he, and honestly, to his credit, he said he was going to do that. Like he said, mm-hmm. he loves going into these, you know, hostile environments where everyone hates your guts and, you know, they just want you to fail spectacularly. And he loves kind of playing in those moments. And I think you saw it early because he hit a couple big shots. He was waving to the crowd. Like, he was kind of playing into all of that. Like, what did you see from that start? And how big was that for Alex to get off to a start like that? We're, we're going to do a little Quentin Tarantino where we're going to kind of start at the end and work our way back to the front mm-hmm. and then just kind of talk about the middle too. The clip that obviously a lot of people saw when he was waving his jersey in front of the Nebraska fans and stuff like that gave yep. me big time Marshall Henderson vibes. Yeah. I was like, yo, <laughs> I wish I had the guts so the guts to like just do something like that, especially at Nebraska. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I love it. Like I think somebody tweeted something along the lines of like that's the exact energy I want every Creighton student athlete to have when they beat Nebraska. Mm. absolutely it's a rivalry game you need to really bask yourself in it and really enjoy the moment for him that's that's his last go-to right if i'm not mistaken so yeah he's never going to get that feeling in a rivalry setting like that playing for the jays uh than what he had on was it tuesday night already yeah Yeah, but um so i i loved watching that now to go back to how the game started yeah nebraska kind of jumped off to a quick little lead but i love the early poise that the boys showed and i tweeted out the boys are knocking down threes now like is is this really it is it all coming full circle where the offense is is uh you know is zooming the ball's moving around as it often does but it's actually getting the opposite possession is getting completed by made three-point baskets watch out for this team this team could already fly at the rim we've seen that in the first couple of games that they played watch out for this team if they start really knocking down threes and really getting their feet under and 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 getting uh, things settled down on the offensive end so i was very happy to see the way that they bounce back from that quick little jab that Nebraska hit. Uh, I mean, I don't know how far you want this soliloquy to go. I, I wasn't too happy. I wasn't too happy with being up 18 and watching that lead slowly yeah, dwindle yeah. down. But at the same time, the way that Nebraska did it, I didn't think was sustainable. It was tough, crazy shots that just happened to fall. I thought the, I thought the Jays did a pretty good job of defending those. You know, the initial shot, giving up some offensive rebounds that led to some three points on closeouts on the back end of that. But, man, you, me being hyped from the start, I'm kind of reliving that night right now. I'm getting hyped again just, just thinking and I talking can see about it. it. Yeah. Uh, I, got a couple, <laughs> I got a couple things I'm going to play off of there. Uh, the first thing I want to ask you, though, because I'm just kind of curious, because I, I kind of – I have a different perspective on how Creighton got control of that game, and I don't think it's going to be um, – some exciting little rah-rah they hate Nebraska thing that the fans maybe would be hoping for. Um, I think it's a little bit more methodical, but I'm curious for you, like in your experience playing in this rivalry, what was the preparation like in terms of just, I don't know. Did you talk about this thing a lot that it did talk about how much it, it means to not lose to this team and to put it on them and to get off to a good start and to sustain it? Like how much is that a, 
is that front of mind when you're going into this game? It the hatred for Nebraska for me started on my recruiting visit, believe it or not. It was maybe the second thing that Coach DeVries told me when I got to campus was how much I was going to enjoy campus and the game we cannot lose is against Nebraska. Okay, all right. Tone's and up. obviously, I, totally different. You know, we're, we're in the Big East now. We're in the Valley then. Uh, we didn't have as many meaningful games as we do uh, on the schedule now. So, like, against – I think Nebraska was in the Big 12 before they made that switch at that point in time, right? Yeah. So, playing against a Big 12 opponent – uh who like because teams were always ducking us when we were in the valley because they just they just didn't want that smoke they didn't want to put us on their schedule for whatever reason so that's a big time game you know for the fan base for us and our season and you know it's a measuring stick to see how the rest of the season is going to go so that's when that kind of like uh hate for Nebraska kind of began for me and I very much understood that even going into my freshman year having not played in the rivalry game before how much it meant obviously for the school and for the fans and for the community as a whole. So now junior or senior sophomore year after that, after that freshman experience, when we ended up losing in the Devaney center, there was just something extra in the air the week leading up to that game. Like in practice, the coaching staff obviously reiterated the fact that this is a game that we can't afford to lose. It's not just like any other game. Like this game, like really matters. There's, there's an extra something added to this game. So uh, obviously, Coach Mack always makes sure that we're well prepared. But it was up to us to really put ourselves in that mindset, understanding that like, look, we have to win this game by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. And that's why every year when we play Nebraska, I tweet it by any means necessary, just to remind the guys like, look, you got to do whatever it takes. We can't afford to lose this game. Yeah. And uh, you know, very proud of the way that the boys responded. Yeah, that's see the, the thing that I, I hear a lot and I'm in the state of Nebraska. So I hear the perspective of the Huskers quite a bit. Um, and the thing that's kind of always kind of made me go, ah, I don't, I think you're not, I, I don't, the, the thing that I criticize about the analysis, I guess is what, is what I'm trying to say is it, it's like, it just gets chalked up to something that means more to Creighton than it does Nebraska. And that's why it goes the way it goes. And I just feel like that's so that's too simple. <laughs> the thing, because it doesn't, it doesn't address how disciplined Creighton is, how talented Creighton is. It's like, it just, it just becomes oh. one of these things where it's like, well, it's Creighton Super Bowl, So that's why they play really well. Like, no, they play really well because they're well-trained, well-coached. They have guys who just like are winners in innate winners when they come into the program and then they enhance the culture because of that experience. They work hard. They're gym rats. Like it's not about how much Creighton feels about Nebraska. It's who Creighton is anyway. And it's ref and honestly, it's by comparison of who Nebraska is like, they don't have a lot of those traits and that's why the game gets sideways. And I mm -hmm. think like, as I was watching this game, I was really curious about that because the emotional extra stuff with this game, it wasn't there to Creighton's degree more so than any years past because it's such a new team. So they're, they're Not only are they young, but the veterans on the team don't know this rivalry either. Um, right. And, like, the coaching staff, there's two new assistants there. They don't know this rivalry either. So unless Max can all of a sudden turn into like the rah-rah, 
you know, bouncing off the walls guy before the game, which he really isn't. He's more just like, here's the game plan. Here's how we execute it. It's a rivalry game. It means a lot to our fans. It's going to be a hostile environment. Prepare yourselves for that. Like, unless that all that stuff changed, what happened on Tuesday night was all about the training that's happened in the preseason and the summer, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. That was Creighton having a really good week of practice, establishing pace, um, getting shots to fall, uh, overcoming adversity. Like, that's all a credit to the dudes that just executed in the moment right there. It's not about the extra – well, Creighton went into that thing thinking it was their Super Bowl. Like, it's not – that's gone. It's not there anymore. Creighton plays 10, 15 teams better than Nebraska every single year now. Tuesday mm-hmm. night was just about the better team playing well. Hey, I'll be honest. Even when we were in the Valley, we played six, seven, eight yeah. teams better than Nebraska, in my nice. opinion. And that's – I mean, obviously, super biased opinion, but I just believe that to be true. Wichita, I you don't and I, think that Missouri State – yeah, Evansville. I don't think that Ryan. Nebraska just. It, I don't think Nebraska just goes into Indiana State and just wins a game with Jake Odom and and mm. that crew mm. and Coach Lansing, like. But that's a very tough environment. That's a very tough uh, place to play at, and like not a lot of Valley schools get credit for how tough it is to go on the road and, and beat them. Hundred percent. Uh, so like that, this idea that it's our Super Bowl. It's a very important game. Yeah, it's bragging rights. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, just like any in-state rivalry should be. And I just think it's kind of like a loser's mentality if you're hearing it from Nebraska fans, especially that, like, we get more up for that game than Nebraska exactly. does for us. Because exactly. history shows that we've had more success. So then what... Outside that guys... game, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. exactly. So, like, what... Uh, what what is missing from the fan base that you guys are not creating the same vibe that we are like don't mm-hmm. blame us for your lack of vibe about right. like how good of a game and how much of a challenge that game actually is right and look i'm sorry if my institution has lost 10 of the last 11 games if i'm fred horberg i'm making sure that those guys know exactly how important this game is because mm-hmm. we have not had any success and uh the former coach now assistant uh, why am I blanking Doc, on Doc Sadler. my guy's name? Doc, Doc Sadler. Sadler. Yeah. Ask Doc Sadler how important the game is. So mm-hmm. I, I don't subscribe to that line of thinking at all. I think it's more of a loser's mentality if, if Nebraska fans believe it uh, to be so. And I kind of have an example of that a couple of weeks ago. We played against a team uh, here and, and, you know, it, it was kind of the same thing. In, in Europe, we call them derby games. When two mm-hmm. cities are close proximity to each other, the both fan bases, obviously, those games matter. Uh, a lot more so we had our derby game a couple of weeks ago uh my team ends up kind of like running away with things like near the end tough game all the way through but then like one of the guys on the other team is just like man y'all y'all are too excited for a regular season game look don't get mad at us because we prepared yeah. and we understood the importance of the moment and we and we grabbed it and you guys i don't know what you guys were doing during your week of practice but right. obviously you didn't come with the same intensity and emotions that we did. So, like, don't get upset with us because we actually did the right thing by preparing for this game, understanding the meaning uh, behind it for our fans and for the community uh, that we're representing. So, and, and if you, you they could miss to, me, they could miss me with all of that. One hundred percent. I don't. I don't subscribe to that at all either. The, mm-hmm. the and if you listen to Mac on, we had the media availability with him on Saturday, I believe Saturday night before their. Um, their first practice of the week. Right. So Saturday was kind of like a day where the Jays could kind of work on some of the things, some of their deficiencies 
it wasn't as uh, Nebraska scout heavy. It was more just drills and, um, you know, some of the things that are, that were lacking from the first two games. And one of the things that he highlighted was pace. And if you, and um, Saturday, that was a huge point of emphasis was let's get the ball moving. Let's get it popping. Let's get our pace. Uh, Cause we, it, he felt like in the first two games, it wasn't, um, it was kind of like it hurt them offensively that they weren't playing at the pace that they wanted to establish. And I thought against, I mean, first of all, Saturday was a hellacious practice. I mean, if you're trying to find a precursor for why Creighton came out on Tuesday night, like they did Saturday was mm-hmm. probably a good practice to watch. And, and in talking to the coaching staff, maybe the day before the Husker game, I think there was like kind of a consent, a unanimous consent among them that Saturday was probably the best, best practice of the season so far in that regard. And then it translated, like, that's what I mean. It's discipline. Mm-hmm. You guys train, prepare, and then you show up in the game and if nothing that nothing that happens is by accident, whether you win or lose. Right. It's all about the preparation. Um, so to see them flying around on Tuesday and to play at the Ryan Nemhard constantly looking to get all the way to the room, if he could, or, you know, find that, you know, find that outlet. If, if, if the ball got stopped, like, he, the way he established pace that started on Saturday night um, and it carried over, like they had a great week of preparation and they executed almost, I mean, they turned the ball over still, which is what's going to happen with a young team playing that fast. They'll get, they'll get better at that. But I mean, in terms of just like nothing being second guessed out there offensively, the flow and everything that started in preparation the way they executed, it wasn't an accident. At some point, we're going to have to come up with a name for these three Ryans because the way that they showed up and showed out against <laughs> yeah. Nebraska. Yeah. I mean, what more can you say? Uh, you know me, I'm going to gush over Ryan Nemhart all year long. Whether or not he plays well, that doesn't matter to me. He's a Canadian. I absolutely have to have his That's back. That's right. That's right. You're and he's only the second Canadian after me. So, like, obviously, like, there's a little bit of a brotherhood already built there from the little bit of interaction that I had with him this past summer. I already love the kid. I love the way that he plays, and he just kind of fits into the mold of point guards that Coach Mack really likes, you yeah. know, from Austin Chapman to Maurice Lawson to Zagorowski, now now to Ryan Nemhard. Those are four generational point guards who get the outlets, push the ball as, as much as they can, really control pace of the game. And, you know, he does it in, obviously, his own way in, in a little bit of a different way, but he ultimately gets the job done. Um, and you know, I wasn't there to see the practice, uh, but if you're talking about it, like it was the most important practice or the best practice that they had all year, then it certainly doesn't surprise me, uh, the hunger that the boys came out with, uh, at the beginning of that game and, uh, their ability to sustain it over a 40 minute stretch. So, um, yeah, it's good to see that a young team who, you know, we, we talked about, their lack of, you know, playing together and what that continuity was going to look like and who's mm-hmm. going to be their leader and, you know, where is this or that going to come from since they lost so much from last year's team. Look, I, I'm, I think that exercising patience for this team is going to be probably a Blue Jay fan's best bet to really get through this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really good to see a young team come together like that in a very hostile environment. Like I said, the most meaningful game. Uh, of the year, obviously, so far, um, for them to just come out and, and show poise more than anything is, yeah. is what I'm I'm very happy to see with this team because I'm not going to lie, their first two games, pretty shaky. I, I think a lot of us are looking at some of those performances like, you know, we should be doing better than this. 
And this is what better looks like. You, you practice hard and it all translates for you on game day. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the Ryans a little bit here. Kalkbrenner. Let's start with Kalkbrenner because if you, you know, if you watch the first two games that Nebraska played leading up to Creighton, um, they got to the free throw line a ton, a ton. I mean, I think they drew 55,000 shots, 67 free throws the first two games. And if you know, you know, uh, just about like max philosophy defensively, it's all about playing without fouling, like do whatever you can to be disruptive, mm-hmm. but don't put them at the free throw line in the process. So that was paramount, right? They didn't want Nebraska getting those free points. And I thought Ryan Kalkbender's defense on the interior, um, just the way he executed those principles of, you know, vertical walls, hands back, uh, making sure you're not like, you know, off balance with your body. So you're getting the body contact when your hands are right. Um, The way he affected the game at the rim without fouling, without putting Nebraska at the free throw line for those easy points, I thought was, you know, as much of a key to the, to Creighton winning that game as anything else that happened that night. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I thought his presence, his presence is always going to be something that's going to make opposing players shy away from attacking the hoop because he's just so long and, you know, so tall. Uh, What I enjoyed the most was he had about like a three minute stretch uh, in the second half where obviously protecting the pit as he always does, but finally to get offensive rebounds, putting it back in, Mm -hmm. getting a loose ball, getting an N1. And what I love the most, showing emotions thank you call Grenner. Yeah. show me that the game matters to you show me how much you've worked for moments like that and i always think that like when players have kind of like a, a little bit of a breakthrough moment like that where they do a couple of things well in succession and show that type of emotion it only bodes better for them moving forward because now you see that he's really really engaged and, and really you know, wanting to have the outcome uh, in his favor on, on any given night. So mm. that, that's something that I, I was hoping that Carl Brennan would show a little bit more of this year with obviously more opportunity. He doesn't have to play behind Christian Bishop. Uh, you know, he, he is the starting five. The, the team will go as far as, you know, his uh, defense and, and offensive abilities will take them. So uh, for him to just be in that moment and really understanding, you know, how big that moment is and for him to really like let out a scream and then to go to the free throw line and actually make that free throw. Uh, I was very happy to see that from him. And I hope that, you know, moments like that happen more and more as the season progresses. Yeah. There were a couple of moments where he exuded some emotion there. Well, I mean, I guess that would tell me that he's really confident in what he's doing out there. What does it tell you? Exactly. Oh, really? Okay. Same thing. Yeah. It's just, it's not only confidence, but it's just like, you put in all this time in the gym and you train these God knows how many hours mm-hmm. for that. When the lights are the brightest for you to be able to shine. Right. Yeah. And when you see a player like show so much emotion, in my opinion, it just shows one confidence to trust in himself and all the work that he's put in that, you know, you're going to get the outcome that you want because you've put in the, uh, unseen hours to get there mm-hmm. and then three like I mentioned just a little bit earlier we're looking for leadership out of this team who who is going to provide leadership in certain situations mm. that is a moment where he's not only expressing you know like all, all of this is coming together the way that I want it but also letting the guys on the team know like look I'm here I'm here with you guys let's keep doing what we're doing you know and let's just keep pushing forward so uh again I, I'm I'm always going to be 
uh, on the side of the guys who love to show emotions. That's the kind of, that's the kind of player I was in a yeah, sure. uniform. That's the kind of player I still am while I'm overseas. Uh, and, you know, a, a moment like that really means a lot to me because it just kind of tells me that, like, he's in it to win it. His mind is where it needs to be. And, you know, his confidence is high and he's doing all the right things to lead up to that point. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The other Ryan who had a big night and honestly, he got to a look. I don't know if slow starts the best way to put it. Like a couple shots rattled in and out. In and out. Yeah, it was a lot of in and outs. And his shot looks pretty. It looks a lot more pure than, you know, what I remember it in the summertime watching them play. But you're talking about Hawkins, obviously. Yeah, 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 Ryan Hawkins. His activity what, what level, though, I thought his activity level changed. Like, his activity level on the glass, I thought, kind of, like, helped him just not get it in his head about missing shots. And maybe he doesn't – maybe he's not that type of guy anyway. But mm-hmm. I just thought his activity level on the offensive glass just – like, he just gets a hand in there and the ball is alive. And then he just has a weird way of, like, keeping that ball alive until you can secure it and find somebody else to get the possession, that second possession rolling. And then obviously when the shot started falling, like it was just, it was a wrap at that point. Cause you know, he was the one guy that Nebraska was constantly leaving for some reason um, in those scramble situations. And once he got a couple to go down, like it was, the game was over. So um, I just loved his activity level though. Like even when the shot wasn't falling, I think that's something that all the young guys on the team can look at for and use for the rest of their career. If they, if they, if they want to. Because he, that's a that's a moment that could probably consume you a little bit, right? First two mm-hmm. rattle in and out, you're like, oh my god, that's just not my night right there, and it can affect the other parts of your game, right? Still gets five assists, still grabs ten rebounds, and then the shots fall after that. Like the basketball gods rewarded him for his activity level up to that point by finally going through the hoop, right? Like the shot making is fickle. You're gonna miss shots. It's not gonna be your night shooting wise all the time. But the thing that it was impressive about him, and this speaks to his experience at a championship level in Division Two, is like he just stayed engaged, stayed active, and continued to find ways to impact the game, just regardless of scoring. In a game where the Jays turn it over, probably more than we would like to see. Yeah, I think Ryan Hawkins times, is a right? steady yeah. hand. Ryan Hawkins is a steady hand that doesn't mm-hmm. turn the ball over, right? In a game where the Jays miss more threes than we'd like to see, even though they've made some pretty early on. He was part of that. What did he do? He found different ways to affect winning. And that's exactly what you like to see. Your example of, of the younger guys, uh, or sorry, you saying that earlier about the younger guys, using him as an example yeah. is spot on in my opinion, because like you said, shooting the ball is fickle. It'll go in, it might not some nights. What else can you do to affect winning? And, and you saw that he did it with his activity level. His defense was on point. Uh, you could hear communication a little bit through the broadcast, even though it's pretty loud in there uh, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his communication is on point. He's where he needs to be. Uh, he's got a knack, you know, to, to get, you know, extra possessions for the team, obviously. And then all of a sudden you're in a rhythm, you're doing all that extra stuff. The ball starts to go back in and, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happens. So, you know, you have to appreciate his stick to itiveness for sure. Um, not Love letting the early intuitiveness. Love that. Oh, oh, come on now. I'm a, I'm a Korean graduate. You know, the, the vocabulary is going to be on point. Now. Let's go now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like you said, like when the ball was rimming in and out, a lot of players would just kind of put their head down and say, you know what? They're going to, sh- they would shy away from the moment maybe, but mm-hmm. not him. What else can I do to affect winning? And, and he certainly did that on the defensive end with his communication and 
ultimately it all came back full circle for him to knock down dagger threes really to, to put the game away and then obviously free throws at the end as well so yep. uh the three ryan's look let's start a petition what are we what are we calling these guys That's true yeah i think the three like the three ryan's are we gonna kind of make it into like a little bit of a sitcom like <laughs> is, is this what it's gonna be like what what is gonna be the thing with the three ryan's is, that's gonna really uh, stand out uh, well, from from different programs in so, the nation. Well, I want to bounce this idea off of you too. Like, so Jordan and I, uh, we'll t- and we'll talk about the women in a second. But uh, Tatum Rembaugh is their starting point guard, right? And then Ryan Nemhard's mm-hmm. the men's starting point guard. They both wear number two. So mm-hmm. our nick our nickname for them is R two T two, like the android in Star Wars. So right, I got you. Yeah, okay. That's kind of what we okay what Jordan came up with for them. So, but that doesn't do the three Ryans, but that's, that's where, we're, that's where we're at right now with Nemhard is R2-T2. It, is Ryan Nemhard at a point already where he deserves two different factions of yeah, that's, <laughs> nicknames? That's, and... I know, right? That's too much. It's only three games. <laughs> we, we got, it's only three games in. <laughs> it's only three games in. He's won yeah. the Big East Freshman of the Year once. Like, mm-hmm. is he really already at a point where? He's got he's got a show and a spinoff, R two T two. I think that we're yeah. I think we're at a point where we got to bounce ideas off the wall and see which ones we like best. Because you're right, he can't yeah. have you can't have too many nicknames out of the gate. Like it's just it'll, right. It'll get obscene, right? Like then then the personality will override the play at some point, and then we're like, wait a minute, let's slow down. Um, no, good call there. Let's 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 slow down on the nicknames. But we do have to come up with the three Ryan's because Nemhard, we haven't talked about him yet. Um, Man, like, what – the way he controlled the game. Like, it's it's one thing to play fast, but it's another thing to do it intelligently. And I think that's what he did on Tuesday. I mean, there were some turnovers, like, and, and he made some, you know, some bad mistakes with just a poor read here or there, which I think that's something that just, like, he'll correct that on film as he gets more live game reps – at this level, like he's only three games into it. Um, and, and he's also aware of it. Like he's disappointed in it. He comes out of that after dropping 22, five and five, and he's looking at his turnover number. So that just tells me right there, he's wired to be kind of a perfectionist if he can, if he can do it. Um, so he's going to mm-hmm. look at that and evaluate that and figure out what he did wrong and try to correct it going forward. So that's not necessarily a major concern of mine. Um. But the way he controlled the game, like how how valuable is that to have a point guard who can dictate the terms of engagement when you're out there and he's on your side? It's it's everything. And I mentioned it a little bit earlier, too. In a Coach Mac offense, that is the one thing that he certainly uh, leans on is to have a point guard with a steady head that understand how fast we're trying to go, but also has the patience and the intelligence to uh, to see the moment, understand it, and just kind of recalibrate everything, put guys in the right spots, run a high pick and roll, and, you know, swing the ball or, or make the decision, I should say, make the decision that's going to be right for the team. And he's so young. Like, he's a freshman in his third game of college. He's got so much room for improvement. But with that being said, the kid is good, man. I've been begging Mac to go up and, and cross that borderline and, and check out these Canadians. He finally <laughs> took my advice and he got himself a good one. You need, you need, you need some pro bono for that, man. Like some, some, some of the uh, NIL look, bread. Like let's NIL, NFT. I don't know what they got to give you. No, it's not NFT. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
we're not. I'm cutting the podcast. I'm cutting it. <laughs> no, hard no. No, no. But in, in all seriousness, in, in all seriousness, though, the kid's got a steady head on his shoulders. We, you know, the, his brother did a number against us uh, when we played Gonzaga in the Sweet 16 last yep. year. So he comes from a basketball family. I met his father and mother over the summer. They're basketball junkies as well. Uh, he's played on the Canadian Junior National Team. Uh, he, he's been played well at that level too. Like not just exactly. He wasn't just a brought one body. A, so, right, brought him to a silver medal, and his the team that they lost to was Team USA with Cockburner on it. So yeah, no shame in that whatsoever. I'm sure that was a great experience for him this summer, and you know all of that is all coming together for him right now. And and like you said, he he turned the ball over much more than. He wanted to himself. I'm sure he's the type of guy that's going to look at that film and, and correct his mistakes. And under the tutelage of, of Mac and, and all the other coaches, he's going to get it right and be even better than, than he was. But man, what, what a, that's a little bit of a coming out party. If I do say so myself, four, do four for five from three. That, too. How about that? Like exactly. Yeah. Shots are falling when you put in yeah. the work in the background and, and all of a sudden the lights come on and you're ready for that moment. So, uh, the kid is going to be good, man. And uh, it kind of sucks that moments like that kind of occur kind of like out of a tragedy. I think Sharif Mitchell being hurt over the summertime and, you know, not uh, really being able to fight for that starting role uh, because of the injury concerns kind of propels Ryan Nemhart into that into that spot, mm-hmm. not too dissimilar from what happened with Doug, with Ethan Rogge getting hurt in front of him, Wayne Reynolds, uh, you know, not performing the way that the coaching staff expected him to up to that point. And all of a sudden, Doug kind of gets thrust into that uh, power forward position and never looks back. I think mm-hmm. we're kind of seeing kind of the similar thing happening here with Ryan Nemhard and, uh, you know, the, the sky's the limit for the kid. I, I really like his game. I really like what he brings to the table. And, you know, I hope he keeps, you know, obviously playing well moving forward. Yeah, and then the last the last point you touched on that I wanted to flesh out a little bit was uh, Nebraska's run at the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. You know, it was interesting talking to because you said it just now, and I don't know if you, um, you know, read the the post game comments from the players. I certainly hope you did, at least at whiteandblueview.com. But that's beside the point. Um, the players talked about the fact that they weren't panicky because mm-hmm. Matt kind of told them like in the timeouts that they that they called like look, I know how it feels right now. They're knocking down everything in, in sight, and the crowd is is at a fever pitch at this point, but they're not going to beat us like this. And right. you said that too, and I'm, and, the, and, the, and every, every player we talked to after the game all reiterated that. Like, yeah, they hit some really tough shots, but as long as we stayed true to, like, our defensive principles that we, lined, that we ironed out in the game plan coming in, if we stick to that, they're not going to beat us like this. You know what I mean? So keep making them take tough shots and law of averages will come into play eventually. It, as much as you were disappointed that the, that the blowout wasn't sustained, like were you feeling all right about the Jays at halftime considering the heater that Nebraska went on? Did you feel like that was going to normalize a little bit? Yeah. If we go like the panic meter route, like one out of 10, my panic meter was at like a four and a half, five max because i just you see the quality of shots they weren't high quality shots that nebraska was taking now they were making them they were making some tough shots but one thing that i've always known about coach mac obviously having played under him and and being a fan of the team since i graduated 
he will stick to his guns when it comes to a defensive game plan because he he just really trusts and believe obviously not what he's seen on film but what his assistants have seen on film and what they've been teaching you know leading up to that game during that week leading up to that game so mm-hmm. w- you see it in the second half same kind of tough difficult shots that nebraska was trying to take now they weren't making them anymore mm-hmm. the shots that they were making were off of you know defensive mistake made by the jays not because they were just jacking up some crazy shots that were going in. So right. when that happens and you just like, I'm speaking for myself as a defensive player, you feel like you have a lot more control of the outcome of the game when that happens. And, and you just kind of relax a little bit and you just try to do your job the best way possible. And I thought that the Jays really settled in in the second half and certainly do, did that. And they cleaned up some of the offensive rebounds that Nebraska was getting in the first half as well, which, mm-hmm. you know, instead of having to fight two or three times in one possession, they just had that one defensive possession, got the defensive rebound and, you know, used their pace to, uh, to their advantage going the other way. Uh, we saw Trey Alexander knock down a three in the corner, mm-hmm. uh, basically off of that kind of situation where the Jays locked in, got a rebound, pushed it to their guy, or I think it was a turnover on that specific play, pushed it to their lead guard. You see Sharif Mitchell running to the left side of the corner. You see Trey Alexander running to the right side of the corner, and, and it's an open shot for Trey, mm-hmm. and it could have gone either way. So, uh, yeah, the boys really, like Coach Mack, they're, they're going to really accept that attitude that Coach Mack kind of imposes on us, which is, look, we said this is the way that, you know, these are the things that we're willing to give up. Don't change the game plan because they've made two or three terrible shots. Mm-hmm. Don't change the game plan. Mm-hmm. Stick to your guns. Do what we've worked on. Do what we've practiced, and, you know, uh, by the end of the game, we all saw what the result was from them sticking to their guns on the defensive end. And yeah. I need to shout out to Alex O'Connell for sure, someone who really just like stepped up and, and led the team defensively from the very beginning, uh, holding uh, McGowan's to six points overall. Obviously, he didn't do it on his own. I'm, that's not what I don't want him suggesting. But you know me, I'm a sucker for guys who accept that defensive challenge Same, head on Same. for, I love for it. good. For, for better or for worse, you know? Uh, and I thought that his leadership to step into that position, even though it took a little bit away from his offensive game as the game wore on, but it was certainly a step into the right direction when it comes to, you know, who's going to be the guy who's going to set that defensive identity and that, defense, that defensive tone for the Jays. Alex O'Connell, in my opinion, did a wonderful job of doing that against the Huskers. Yeah, I'm a sucker for that too. Going back, like Josh Dotzer, you, Kyrie, mm-hmm. Ty, like who, yeah, you know, Alex this year, like I'm, I'm, I'm a mark for anyone who wants to, to go on the defensive side of the floor, sit down and just get in someone's grill. Like that's, that's, that, yeah. that's, that's what I love to see. Um, and then like for Alex, like, I think it's a thing where it's not like that was something he was known for coming in. I think we've seen that out of a couple guys recently, like Ty Sean Alexander, the defensive season he put together his junior year, the year they won the Big East regular mm-hmm. season title. Like he was not a two-way guy coming into the year. And then he, by the end of it, he was, in my opinion, the best defender in the Big East. Defensive he, player I, of the year. I thought he should have won that award. Like I don't, you know, he had Guards a lot of are always Howard, be... Miles Powell, like all these legitimately tough wing scorers that are going to get paid to, mm-hmm get buckets for like at least the next 10 years. Um, and then like, just to see Alex kind of embrace that role too. And, you know, Creighton's like, they're coming into this year. There's so much inexperience. Sharif's hurt. So, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for a guy like who's going to kind of step in and get some stops for us and, and guard that top perimeter player while Sharif works yeah. his way back. Like, what are we going to do to, 
to shut somebody's water off so that we don't get beat by one dude going off for 30 or 35. And I think it's really impressive to see the way Alex has kind of embraced that because it's not something that he's had to do or been asked to do at any point in his career right now. So to have to do it as a fifth year senior for the first time ever is just wild, to <laughs> me, you know, but he's done a pretty good job with it so far. I think. A couple of things that you said there that I need to certainly address going back to Tyshawn's year of, of how well he played defensively. I thought in my opinion, obviously again, super biased. Anytime I'm on a crane podcast or, you know, radio show, I have to show my biases and, and how much I love the boys, but uh, I thought he was defensive player of that year, hands down that yeah. year. Like I didn't even yeah. think it was anywhere close, but I always think that guards uh, kind of get the short end of the stick in that regard, because what we do defensively doesn't necessarily show up on the stats, unless you're yeah. stealing mm-hmm. a crazy mm-hmm. amount of basketballs, you know, mm-hmm. you're not blocking shots. So that, that's really what the numbers show. And, and, and it's hard to, go against let's just say a big who's averaging three blocks a game you know what yeah. i mean yeah um so that that's the one thing for tasha and i thought he certainly deserved defensive player of the year and for alex connell someone who's just so athletic i always thought that like if athletic guys really just put it in their mindset to sit down in a chair and like you like you like to say shut somebody's water off mm-hmm they certainly can do it because the God-given gifts are already there. Mm-hmm. You just have to have the mindset to just be like, you know what, I'm going to focus on this end of the court, like, and I'm going to show up and I'm going to do it every single day. And uh, that is an advantage that he has that I didn't have. I was nowhere nearly as athletic as, as he is, but now he's developing the want to do it on a day-to-day basis. You love to see it for a guy who, like you said, he's a fifth-year senior. We know he can score. We know he could fly. But if you can add this, uh, you know, part of the game in his repertoire, it's only going to help him moving forward. You know, I'm sure he's looking at pro basketball, wherever it might be next year. They love guys who are able to run, jump, shoot, and play defense. Yeah. That's all he's going to be asked yeah. to do. At as the simple as it sounds, court. right? Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, for him to develop that in his fifth year, I mean, better late than never, I guess, right, in that situation. Um, for sure. But I'm looking forward to seeing him accept the challenge as the year goes on and you know from what i see man that kid could go on spurts like nobody's business so i'm not even ever going to be worried about his offensive game like he could he could start the game like oh and five or whatever i just feel like if he makes two in a row then he's just as liable to make five six seven in a row so Mm -hmm. that's that's my feeling on alex o'connell so far that's the one thing like with alex's uh, offense has kind of been hot and cold in games so far but i think the that's what maybe doesn't get you know, it's kind of hard to understand for people watching. It's like, because you'll see like him miss two or three shots in a row and you wonder like, well, why is he struggling right now? It's like, well, the other end of the floor like requires a lot of energy and mental focus that it does bleed into that other side. It's really hard to be a two-way stud. It just is like, you have to, because there's so much that goes into being a good defensive player mentally that by the time you cross midcourt, you're just like, there's like a little bit of a sense of relief before you get to that 30 foot marker and start executing your quarter court stuff. Like you're like, all right, got that stop. Now I got to focus here. Um, and then once you cross midcourt again, you got to refocus on everything else. That's part of that defensive game plan. Like it's not easy to go for 20 and then make someone else go for five. You know what I mean? It's really difficult. So I think he's working well, that- through that at this point, you know, and I think you'll see his offensive numbers start to um, start to be like normalized a little bit as he gets more comfortable in the two-way role. 
Well, that's why there's only a handful of Kawhi Leonard's in this exactly. exactly. You know what I mean? Yes. The players that get paid yeah. the biggest bucks to be able to do that on a defensive and, and then bring him back and do it on the offensive end too. There's yeah. not that many Giannis's. There's not that many, you know, LeBron in his defensive prime when he was with the Miami Heat. There's not too many of those Michael Jordan, obviously. Like, there's right. not too many of these guys running around. So, yeah. guys are asked to really, like, focus on the defensive. And it obviously ultimately will affect what they can do offensively because you're, you know, there's so much energy being put in on the defensive end. But like I said, the way that I see Alex, the way that his game is built, he's a guy who's just as liable to make five in a row as he is to make or to miss, you know, three or four in a row. So, mm-hmm. I'm never going to be too worried about, you know, uh, what he can do on the offensive end. And also he, he kind of gives me like, he's got moxie, man. There's something about yeah, him that oh, like, oh, yeah. as a Jays fan, you just root for him because like, he's never, you could see like his energy and, and just the way that he carries himself, his swagger out there on the court. Mm-hmm. He believes he's the best player on the court, no matter mm-hmm. what anybody says, no matter who he's been around and, and no matter where he's come from. So you love to see it as a Jays fan. Uh, he strikes me as one of the guys like you love to have on your team, but hate to have as as 100%. an opposing player. Hundred um, percent. And you need somebody like that in your locker room. I had Grant Gibbs, who was that type of guy for us. So yeah. uh, I, I just love his swagger, and you know, I, I just have a whole lot of confidence in him, no matter how good or bad it looks early on. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about Trey Alexander for a minute because um, I thought he was big too. Because Arthur Kaluma got in foul trouble, so. You know, you're kind of wondering, all right, like, how's Creighton going to battle on the backboards here? Like, mm-hmm. are they going to keep Nebraska from stealing some – some manufacturing some points in some other ways, even when Creighton gets the first shot stop? I thought Trey Alexander was huge in 27 minutes off the bench. Like, no turnovers, first of all, in that environment. Crazy for mm-hmm. a freshman. But eight rebounds. He hit a three – you mentioned the three he hit out of the corner in transition. When it was like a three-point game, he pushed it to six with that shot. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought, like, you know – that's that was a really solid, solid performance uh, for a newcomer in his first true road game. Same with Nemhard. Like both those guys really impressed me with how they how they performed in that environment. And um, yeah, Trey Alexander's eight rebounds were huge. I thought he's a kid that Coach Mack I know for a fact is super high on. Uh, having been around the team a little bit this summer, uh, I got a chance to work out with him a, a mm. handful of times to just kind of see you know, how they move, you know, what their games are like, you know, obviously where they can improve and, and you know, how Coach Mack is going to use them uh, this year. I thought he did a wonderful job of just not doing too much. Sometimes that's the toughest thing to do when you're a young kid in that type of environment. It's just you feel the need to do something a little extra, but he, he stayed within himself. Like you mentioned, the no turnovers. You mentioned the extra effort by getting rebounds, which Alex O'Connell also did. I think Alex O'Connell grabbed nine yep. defensive rebounds. Yep. Uh, he grabs eight. That certainly helps, especially in a night where Arthur Kaluma struggles, uh, which, I mean, if, if Arthur gets it right that night, you know, like oh, how good of a – Yeah, it's over. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like how good yeah. of a game would that have been for the Jays? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's good to see another face uh, – obviously embraced the big stage the way that he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my biggest thing for him is he looked like he was just enjoying himself out there, which I absolutely love. Every time that the camera panned over to him, he just had a big old smile on his face. You know, even sometimes like if he makes a defensive mistake and, and they huddle up and you could tell like he's saying like my bad or whatever, or I'll get it next time. 
but he comes out of that huddle kind of like with his head up, not with his head down. And you love to see that for a young kid. And, you know, I hope that he continues that moving forward. Um, but yeah, big time minutes, big time minutes if Arthur Kaluma is struggling the way that he did. And I don't, I wouldn't even say struggling. I think just early foul trouble. Yeah, foul trouble got him more yeah, than anything. Yeah, it kills your rhythm for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, Trey Alexander certainly stepped up in a major way there. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but uh, I, I love seeing Sharif back out there. Yeah, <laughs> Even yeah. though he, he looked half a step slow. I, I had Will Artino on my podcast yesterday and we kind of talked about him a little bit. I kind of get the feeling that he's still not obviously at a hundred percent, right? Especially with his condition, because we know Correct. when he's at a hundred, he's the quickest guy on the court. His defensive instincts just shines through the screen, like like goes straight through the screen. Uh, but I have a feeling that knowing that it was a Nebraska game, being an Omaha kid, he's like, "I'm Mac. I'm suiting up. Like <laughs> I, I have to put this jersey on today." rain hail sleet or snow like i have to be a part of this game and it was just so nice to see him running around out there made some dope moves not yeah. gonna lie you could tell like that turnaround step back was gonna... real nasty real nasty and then the nice little reverse layup that, yeah. that's the one that i like getting into yeah. the paint which is what the jays are going to ask him to do and it's a challenge bigs at the rim and, and come out on the other end successful i, I really like those two you know individual clips of him but it's just so nice to see him back out on the court he's a guy that i'm always going to root for uh, you know, speaking to the Antoine Youngs and the Josh Jones of the world and the JPs of the world, I have a little bit of understanding of like what these Omaha kids feel putting that Creighton jersey on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm always going to be a sucker for for him and, and for, you know, representing Omaha, especially in a rivalry game against Nebraska. I just have that feeling that he was just like, Mac, I'm playing tonight. I don't care if you guys are saying that I can't or that I should take an extra day. I'm definitely like lacing them up and, and I'm going out there and playing. And I thought he did, you know, for missing so much time with injuries and rehabbing and all that stuff. I thought he did as well of a job as you could ask him to do, especially in such a, a big game. Yeah, there were flashes there for sure that like mm-hmm. that show you when he's right, it's going to be because it's it's a thing that I think we got a question about it that we'll talk about later. But it's like it's a thing that he and Nemhard like don't have to be PG1 and PG2. They can play together because Sharif can guard yeah. multiple positions. Um, and you know, Mac, like he'll put as much speed and ball handling on the floor as possible. So it's not a thing where like they'll play together once he's right. And they'll, it's They're going to fly. Um, coach so, yeah, Mac like, is a chemist. People forget that. Like he'll put his lab coat on and experiment with those two on the floor mm-hmm. at the same time, for sure. He, he certainly doesn't mind doing that and see exactly how much pace he could get out of those two yeah. while they're on the floor at the same time. In my opinion, it's like just early speculation, just kind of understanding Obviously, the two players that we're talking about, Nemhard and, and Sharif, and the way that Coach Mack thinks, I think in that situation, he puts the ball. When, once Sharif is right, Nemhard is a little bit of a better shooter at this stage in, in their career. I think he puts the ball in Sharif's uh, hands and asks Nemhard to run to those corners just as hard as Trey Alexander and Sharif did for him mm-hmm. in that one clip. And then he asked Sharif to make the right decision. And I think Nemhard, being in more catch-and-shoot situations as opposed to more off the dribble situations, all shooters will tell you that catch and shoot situations are much easier to orchestrate out of than, you know, trying to create your own off the dribble. So, mm-hmm. look, I'm I'm very excited to see the different kind of combinations that the Jays uh, can put out there on the floor. Um, and like I said, imagine Arthur Kaluma has himself any sort of game, you know, as opposed to, you know, the yeah. foul trouble that kind of kept him from getting into a rhythm early on. Uh, you're looking at a 15-ish point game, in my opinion. So, oh, for sure. you know. 
And we also didn't see Roddy or John Christopoulos either, two young guys that are, you know, that are, I, I think that I would be surprised if they helped the Jays win a game or two this year. Like, uh, you didn't see them do it on a, Tuesday, but they might be able to do it later. I'm a big fan of Christopoulos. Again, one of the guys, I, I like to be in the championship center at 6 a.m. in the summertime to get my workouts. And I look on the other end of the court, Christophilus is already there shooting on the gun. Like mm-hmm. he's just that type of kid. So uh, I've been waiting to see when Coach Mack is, uh, you know, g- going to utilize him. I feel like with that quick turnaround at the Paradise Jam, I wouldn't be shocked if he saw mm-hmm. some minutes against Brown for sure, just to kind of get his collegiate basketball feet wet. Um, and then Rati, he just obviously coming off injury and all that stuff. He just got to get this a little bit more, uh, you know, used to being out there on the curl with these guys and, I know how good of a player he is as well and, and what he can do to contribute to winning. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a good problem to have for the coaching staff. I'll, I'll never be upset when they say we have too many guys to play. <laughs> that just means they just have to go back in the lab and figure it out. And, right. you know, I have the utmost trust that Mac and the staff will be able to do that. Let's uh, move on to the women's game. Uh, last night, uh, the Jays fell 67-62. And either, they ended their five-game winning streak over the Huskers last night. Um, you know, it was kind of, it wasn't, it was kind of a little bit of a clunky game. I mean, I think there were like, yeah, 50 fouls called, uh, 28 turnovers, a whole bunch of free throws. Um, Mm -hmm. it's one of the, it's one of those things for the Jays. Like, I think they might, I don't know when they go back and look at the film on this one, I think they're probably going to kick themselves, but it, it wasn't one of those, like Nebraska looked like clearly the better side. Like I thought the Jays just missed some things. They normally, you know, put away in terms of open catch and shoot threes or opportunities at the free throw line or, you know, just some of those um, those shifty little turnovers where you catch and shift your feet real quick because you're just a little bit too sped mm-hmm. up. Like, I think all that stuff is kind of easily correctable. Um, and it's probably just the reason they fell a little bit short last night. What do you think? Just looked a little tentative at the very start of the game, uh, yeah. in my opinion. You mentioned – uh, the shuffling of the feet on closeout, I think that happened in three different occasions in the yep. first quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, you know, in a rivalry game on the road, again, hostile environment against your in-state rivals, it's tough to get off to a slow start because you feel like you're really playing behind the eight ball uh, yeah. for the rest of the game. So, uh, but I thought in some stretches, the ladies looked really good. Ball movement was good. You know, Coach Flan is big on ball Motion, movement, player yeah. movement. Mm-hmm. Uh and that's just kind of been his MO ever since I've been on campus and been a fan of watching the ladies play. Uh, every team that he has, as you know, depending on the talent level and, and who he has available to him, he always manufactures offenses where there's a lot of movement and there's a lot of cuts and uh, the girls have the freedom to, to orchestrate out of that. So uh, I think that's why we saw, you know, Jill and Agnew blow up the way that she did is because on any closeout, she just felt like she had the, the green light to just, you know, break a girl down or, or keep the ball swinging, set down screens, set flare screens, and, and just work to get each other open. Yep. And uh, you mentioned, you know, shots that would normally fall not falling. That happens in rivalry games sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the tentative nature of the Jays, that happens in big games sometimes. So I think, like you said, watching film, going over film one more time, uh, I know Flan is going to, you know, really, like – beat it into them the the little mistakes that they made offensively and defensively as well and uh you know they, they, but they've got some they got some talent on that team i think they, they could really you know put things together and and show 
and and have a better showing than what they did last night. But just it, it just wasn't their day. And but kudos to them, they fought all the way till the end, didn't they? Yeah, for sure. I think that. Well, I yeah. mean, that's kind of the one thing I'm wondering, and I'm curious to pick your brain about it from a if you can like tap back into the players' perspective of it. It's like. You know, I, I was there in Des Moines when they played Drake and they got overwhelmed early by Drake's post offense and got into a big hole. And, you know, then Morgan Malley comes in and hits some big shots off the bench. Like, that's just her MO. But, you know, I, I like the mm-hmm. way Creighton's constructed with that three posts. Like, um, you know, Emma Ronson, Carly Bachelor, Morgan Malley, they can all score in different ways. Like, that's a really interesting little combination of, of you know, versatile post players that they can – you know, kind of figure things out with offensively. And I, I just think when I look back at the the three games they've played so far are all kind of similar. There, there was all – all of them featured a fourth-quarter push. Against Drake, mm-hmm. it was, you know, getting back in the game. Against UNL, it was putting the game away. Against Nebraska, it was getting back in the game. And, like, you look at their two road games so far, Drake and Nebraska, like those are, you know, going to be bubble-type, NCAA tournament-type teams that you're playing right there. So I think for them to show that they didn't lay down and just like get rolled, um, it says something to me. I don't know how they feel about it. I mean, I think they're going to say that they're frustrated, but there's some value in that. I have to believe there's value in, in having like an early season challenge like this. And, you know, Flan, those schedules are never easy, right? He puts his team through right. the hardest possible. The ringer. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I think there's value in the fact that they fought back in two tough road games against double-digit deficits. Now, like, they probably were feeling like, well, why were we down big in the first place? That's probably what they'll think, but I don't know. I kind of see some value in that. What do you think? Am I being too optimistic, or is there something that they can they can build off of in the fact that they came back and gave themselves a chance in both games? I think I think you're being optimistic, but just the right amount. I know, like, the players in that locker room, there's no moral victories. A loss mm-hmm. is a loss, no mm-hmm. matter how valiantly they fought, you know, while they were down and to make it a closer game. Uh, you mentioned Coach Coach Flan putting, you know, the girls to a tough non-conference schedule. What, he, what he's been doing with those girls Always. reminds me so much of what – remember what Long Beach State used to do uh, on the men's side? They used to just go all over the place oh, yeah, and play yeah, like yeah. Michigan State and like North Carolina and – you know, they wouldn't even have their first home game until their conference season started because, like, that coach understood the importance of, you know, yeah, we're not in the greatest conference or whatever the case may be, but we need to show these guys that they can play the highest levels and hang tough with them. And Coach Flynn kind of does the same thing. Even Obviously, the Big East is a better conference than uh, Western Athletic, if I'm not mistaken, whatever Long Beach State is in. Who knows um, at this point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with all the realignment, right? Uh, but it's good. it's good for them to – you know, face tough competition early on in the season and to continue to have that fight and to continue to have that fervor because it's only going to bode well for them moving into conference play, which is, as all we know, is is the most important time of the year, you know, for the Jays. So uh, you mentioned Morgan Malley. I'm a big fan. We In the open or even before we started recording, I was talking to you about, like, once she wears number 30, so you know that's a Steph Curry influence right there. Lefties... It doesn't matter how lefty shoot, it always looks like such a really pretty shot. And, you know, whenever she let it fly yesterday, I always felt like there was a chance that the ball was going to go in, uh, you know, no matter if she had made a couple earlier or if she had struggled previously to that. So yeah. um, in, in, a, 
in the offense, which is so inside out, which is the way that Flynn likes to play. They're going to have plenty of opportunities to get their feet set and, and just let it fly as, as they should, as they rightfully should. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you take away that tentative first quarter, the game is really there for the taking, you know, mm-hmm. like there's not too much that Nebraska did that really separated themselves, obviously not talent wise, in my opinion. Uh, they just were able to hang on to a lead that they had established early on, which is what the major difference in the game was. But again, valiant effort for, from the ladies to, to continue to fight and, uh, to continue to, sh- to show that fighting spirit. If they're able to encapsulate that and, and keep moving forward, uh, it's only going to bode well for them in, in conference play. And then, and, and they got the Jays got a big performance out of Carly Bachelor, which I think is going to be yeah. huge for them because it's huge for her, if that's if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like her confidence is going to skyrocket from this game, I think, because, you know, she knocked down another three. That's three straight games where she's hit a three which hasn't always been a part of her game, right? Like shooting has some, has not been something that she's confident in doing. But if you watched like last March when they were in the Big East tournament or the WNIT, like um, she started knocking down threes and like you were wondering, all right, is, she, is this like a flash in the pan or is mm-hmm. this going to carry over? Like, and then this is what she kind of can cultivate for the second half of her career. And it's translating. Like she has, she looks like a more confident, player and when you factor in who she was coming out of high school in terms of just really sound fundamentals makes two foot plays constantly doesn't get off balance doesn't try to be fancy with the ball doesn't make one-handed passes uh doesn't shoot stupid shots like i think her getting a double double here against nebraska her having a really good second half against uno and putting that game on ice um she hit a big three at Drake. Like, all that stuff is kind of brewing. I think, like, she's going to have uh, – or she has the potential to have so far based on the start, um, you know, maybe one of the top breakout players in the Big East this year because her confidence is kind of complementing her skill set now. And when that happens, it's like mm-hmm. a light bulb goes off, right? Like, then the player just takes off at that point. I'll throw a name at you and you tell me if there's any, uh, you know, credence to what I'm saying. Does her game not remind you a little bit of what Sarah Nelson used to do back Ooh, in the day? Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it a lot. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You mentioned getting into the paint, smart decisions, nothing too fancy. But as her career progresses and Coach Fine sees the progression in her game, Sarah Nelson was asked to do a lot more than just sit on the block and use your back down moves. Yeah. Now she became a pick and pop player. She learned how to pump fake and attack once to dribble, get inside, finish for herself or, or help others with, you know, passing the ball out and, Obviously, those days had a bunch of shooters out there on the wing, too, back right. in the day. So right. uh, that's that's what she reminds me of, too. Uh, you mentioned it being maybe a flash in a pen in last year's WNIT. Coming into the season, all of a sudden, she's adding that to her game, three straight games where she's knocking down the three. We're looking for, you know, bigger and better plays from that position, obviously. And... Again, in a free-flowing offense, you're going to get those opportunities. Now, right, right. the unseen hours that you've spent working on your that jump shot over the summertime, over the length of the season, is that going to be enough to carry you through and, and to give you the confidence to shoot that game or to shoot that ball on game day? Mm-hmm. We have yet to see, but so far, so good. Yeah, no, I hadn't I hadn't considered the Sarah Nelson comp before, but that's like that's a really, really good one because Sarah was one of those like, Super solid fundamentally, right? Wasn't going to make stupid plays. Always was playing off two feet. Wasn't hardly ever off balance. And then as her career, like, progressed, 
she got more confidence in that perimeter jump shot and hit some big ones late in her career. Like, yeah, that's a, yeah. I, that's interesting. I hadn't tried to. Hey, that's why I'm here, here man. That's why hey, I get paid the big bucks. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's what we, that's why I need you in my life. Um, yeah, no, that's pretty oh, good. Man. Like, I, but I do, but I do think there's like, not just like to hype her up, but like, there's, there's a lot of similarities there. You know, you know, Carly before was, there were some non-negotiables with her game, right? She's always going to crash the glass. Mm-hmm. She's going to cut really well. Um, the coaching staff, like, you know, labels her like a recipient scorer. So she's going to move within the flow of the offense. Um, and if she gets the ball in a scoring position, she'll just like, you know, put it up and put it in. But it's not one of those things where she's going to demand it. I'm curious to see how that how that evolves with for her because with the going with the growing confidence um, in yourself, then the coaches will start to see it and try to incorporate you more intentionally within the the structure of that offense. So I'm curious to see like how because I don't think she's ever going to have one of those things. I think Flan said it last night too, where she'll be a primary focus of the defensive scouting report. You know, because Emma Ronsick, mm-hmm. Morgan Malley, Tatum Rembaugh. Like all those players command so much attention defensively that Carly can kind of just still fill that recipient scorer mm-hmm. role. But with this growing confidence, I'm curious to see how the coaching staff incorporates more structure into, into her production offensively. Cause I think she's kind of ready for it. I don't like to go against what Flan says too often, but I will challenge him in saying this. If she continues to have games like she did last night, she's certainly going to be a focal point in, in defensive scouting reports moving forward. I think so? Because, yeah. you know, there's just – we talked about it while we were talking about, uh, you know, Coach Max defensive game plan, right? Teams are always willing to give up something. But if they mm-hmm. see consistency as the year progresses, then they're mm-hmm. going to take away what that consistency is. So she con- continues to have good games, playing so well off of the other girls. It's only a matter of time before they decide, you know what, we need to take her away and kind of live with the shots that everyone else is getting. And I think that uh, that is only going to open up their offense more, obviously, because the talent is there for those other ladies to obviously step up. Mm-hmm. Um, but if consistency is what she's able to, to show and to continue to have good games, then, you know, obviously it's going to open up things for other people and she will become a focal point in other teams defensive game plan in my opinion yeah uh one more player i kind of want to talk about a little bit because she's kind of on the comeback trail after uh she you know she hurt her knee last year against yukon and then you know there were some you know it was like a tough road back i mean honestly she's been through so much injury wise that yeah this is one of these players that i'm rooting for just to have a good healthy like push through this season because she deserves it um, is Rachel Saunders. And like, you know, you can see that she, there's moments where she's pressing a little bit because she wants to be that player that she was right away. And it's going to, mm-hmm. it's just not ever going to be like that because that's not the way injury recovery happens. Like it's slow going. So, but I thought there were some things that she did last night that showed you it's close. Like it's not, she's almost there, you know, like the five rebounds, three yeah. steals, her activity <clears throat> level. She was all over the floor. Um, I just think, you know, she had three offensive boards. Like, I, I thought she did a lot of Rachel-type plays um, that kind of, like, show you that she's getting closer and closer to being back to the Rachel that we saw before the injury. Ran into her a 
few times in the off season, just being in the weight room and, you know, having conversations with her in the weight room about what she's had to do to get back to where she's at. She's worked extremely hard to be able to lace those shoes up and be back out there on the 100%. floor. So yeah. you could tell that, you know, her, you mentioned her activity level being super high. She's also gritty. She's not scared to so get true. her nose in there and fight for the ball, uh, mm-hmm. especially when the Jays were down near the end of uh, near the end of the game. She's really hustling out there, trying to trap, trying to find different ways to turn the ball over. Um, you know, she got called for a couple of fouls there near the end. Obviously, just just effort plays that that went wrong. But yeah. you know, like. You know what I'm a sucker for. I'm a sucker for that person that puts in that extra effort, who's willing to accept challenges. Uh, for her to be back out there on the floor, it's only a matter of time until she's back to 100%, feeling like herself again. Mm-hmm. Um, but you love to see her, you know, a, a little bit of a Sharif feel too. There too for Rachel Saunders. Yeah, you love to sure. see her just being back out there on the floor in that Blue Jay uniform, uh, flying around and, and playing her heart out. Um, and, and, you know, flying is such a great coach and he's got a great staff too. He's going to find ways to put these, these ladies in, you know, uh, optimum positions for them to, to play well and, and to win some ball games. It's just a matter of time until, until it all clicks. And, you know, the Jays are always a team that big East teams fear come, you know, late January, early February, when things really start clicking. So um, this was my first glimpse of them this year in a rivalry game. Like I said, if you take away that first quarter, I think it's a very even matchup. Let's just say you take away that first quarter and you add an extra quarter on the back end of that. Yeah. I think that game is a toss-up and it could go either way. But very tough in, in that kind of environment to be down uh, as much as early as they were. And, you know, it, it's an uphill climb that is a very difficult one to to climb. So, uh, But I thought in some spots of the game, they looked really good. Like I said, the ball movement, the player movement is is – what I look uh, at when I'm looking at a coach plan, uh, coached team, and you know, it, it looked really good at times. They just they missed some shots that they probably should have made. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's jump into questions now and uh, wrap this thing up with a little Q and A. Um, see what the fans are thinking. Computers are a little slow, so give me a second here. That Omaha one. No, you're fine. Has- isn't <laughs> it's not like this Polish Wi-Fi, right? <laughs> um, let's see. The first, so the first question is, uh, what was the fan hostility level against the Jays players? Uh, the jersey repping by the guys at the end of the game seemed to be response to that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just think that's kind of like who this team is a little bit. Like, they have some personalities that are a little bit um, – uh, I don't know, a little bit flamboyant, right? Like they they feel themselves when they're in the when they're in the zone and like they they play to the crowd whether they're on their side or not. And I think that's kind of what was going on. I mean, I think the game. I mean, Jay, you know, like that game in Lincoln is always hostile. Like you're not gonna, you're you're not going to. Uh, once you play in one of them, you know what you're expecting to hear. So it's not like anything played into it. I just think the Jays embrace that a little bit, and we're like, all right. You can talk for 40 minutes, but if your team's if your team's in the in the red in the scoreboard, like uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? We're gonna let you know at when that clock hits zero. And I think that's kind of what, what happened, honestly. I I absolutely loved it, man. Like I 100%. said, I man, I, I wish I was a current player. I would have done the exact <laughs> same thing walking off. And you know, I kind of feel like uh 
celebrating that way is kind of a generational thing. I think yeah, like on the teams that I played on, maybe it was me and like maybe one, maybe like a Josh Jones would do something like that with me. Uh, but now you see like three or four or five guys doing stuff like that. And it's just like, that's just the way that the game is moving. And I, I enjoy it. You know, it's all, yeah. I mean, it is a sport. It's all in good fun. But there is something about hearing, what was it, like 16, 5,000 people uh, yelling against you for 40 minutes. Now that the clock strikes triple zeros and you're down, now it's my turn to flaunt. And I'm glad that the guys did that a little bit. And, you know, and they did it, you know, probably in the most respectful manner that they did. They didn't do anything too outlandish. They just rubbed the jersey super hard. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think waving bye to people is polite. I think it's polite to wave, yeah. wave goodbye. My mom always said that if someone said bye to me, I should say bye back to them. You know? It's fine. <laughs> exactly. It's all in good fun. Alex just telling him, <laughs> Alex just wanted him to have safe travels home. That's all. That's what he was doing. Yeah, no, it's fine. They, he understands how Lincoln can be after a yeah, game. Yeah, traffic's traffic rough after a game. You know? yeah. Eyes on the road. Keep your cell phones away from you while you're driving. Exactly. Safe drive home. We came in. We conquered. And now it's time for us to head back to Omaha. That's all. It, it, was, a P, it was a PSA for safe driving. That's all it was. That's all it was. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, next question was too much made about Mac letting Nebraska get a home game this year. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Okay, like, so I think you you them. need to kind of tell me the background story about that because I saw that question too and I didn't quite understand it. Was it a toss up between it being in Omaha or it being in Lincoln? Okay, so well the way the rivalry was like the way the schedule was playing out was like this mm-hmm. um, last year, last year during COVID and everything. Uh, when there weren't hardly any fans in the arena, that game was supposed to be in Lincoln. And then okay. this year's game would have been in Omaha based on like, it could, you know, cause it rotates every year. So yeah. what Mac did last year was like, he and Fred kind of got together and said like, well, you know, Fred was kind of feeling um, like it wasn't necessarily an advantage to him and his team to have a home game against Creighton with no fans in the arena because they didn't have any in Lincoln. Right. Um, but Mac also didn't want to have uh, this young team that he knew he was going to have this year play at Nebraska and then another tough Big Ten road game in the Gavit games. So the way it worked okay. out was Mac was like, all right, I'll give you – We'll play the COVID year game in Omaha again in front of limited fans. Um, and then we'll give you your home crowd back the year after that so you cannot lose that home environment. Um, but it has to be part of the Gavit games because I don't want this young team playing two tough roadies against Big Ten competition. Yeah. You know what I mean? This early and killing their confidence and getting rolled. You know what I mean? As it worked out, Creighton beat Nebraska twice, so it didn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) That's a gamble that Fred made that did not pay off for him, unfortunately, because the Jays came into Lincoln with the hostile environment and still put it on the Huskers. Um, But that's kind of what it went. It was like a fairness thing. I think that Mac and Hoiberg worked out. They're good friends. They have a long history. No, I know. That that relationship goes goes way back. And then uh, we forget that. Coach Hoiberg was Doug's coach in Chicago yep. as well for a cup of tea before Doug got traded. So, and then he's the mayor at Iowa State. He's always going to be a legend. Coach Matt coach there, so they have close ties for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, I I didn't understand that question. Um, but 
hey, does it really matter? The boys oh, won. Did. Next question. Yeah, it did. <laughs> they <laughs> won in Lincoln, so it did not pay off the way Nebraska was kind of hoping it would. Yeah. Uh, they won and in Omaha the last year. Part, so, yeah. Right. And then the next year, next year, is, next year it'll be in Omaha. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. You, you, I don't even have to say it. you did yeah. said it. It's, it was a, it was an interest. I thought Max showed like, you know, he made that work out for his team. And certainly Fred was hoping to get the home court advantage um, on Tuesday. Uh, it just didn't work out in terms of a competitive advantage that they were hoping for. So. Well, one thing about Mac though, is he is fair. Like that doesn't strike me yeah. as like, weird that coach Mack would do something like that understanding you know the like the importance of a situation like that for a Fred Horberg coach team uh for him to like I don't know if he went out of his way or if they just had a mutual conversation about it and it just kind of worked out that way but coach Mack is a super fair guy and to for him to kind of just throw him a bone a little bit uh that that doesn't surprise me at all no, like me a, either yeah, I could see that coming from a mile away. I thought and it made it. I thought it made a lot of anyways. sense. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you said, they won anyway. But like, I thought it made a lot of sense. I honestly thought that the game was kind of in danger of not even happening last year. If if if, <coughs> uh, if it was going to be in Lincoln, because like that's it, it, you're. I mean, it's it's true. Like that's not really fair to Nebraska from a rivalry standpoint to have the COVID year game in Lincoln, then have to go back to Omaha when the fans are allowed mm-hmm. back in the arena. Like. Right. That I know Max is honest, dude. He's not letting that fly. Like he understands where Fred's coming from in that, but he also understands yeah. he's going to have a super young team this year and he doesn't want them going into Lincoln. And then like the next game going to like Ann Arbor or something and, or, or East Lansing and having to deal with two tough road environments in the big 10 and letting his team take those mm-hmm. kind of lumps when he doesn't, isn't sure um, how, how like how healthy they'll be or how ready they'll be for that moment. So I thought it worked out for everybody. And then obviously, like you said, Jays won the game, so didn't didn't mm-hmm. favor Nebraska like it might have. Um, next question is uh, Lance Robbie, play-by-play voice of the Jays volleyball and women's basketball. He wants to know uh, – he'd love to hear our thoughts about the next round of Husker Jays games in Omaha next year. Um, if, the, if the Jays should go old school and have a doubleheader at the CHI, what do you think? Uh, for the women's and the men's games, so they both yep. played on the road this year. Yeah, uh, I would I would like to see it, but I will say I think uh, the women's team certainly enjoy playing at Stokel. That's their mm-hmm. home court advantage. The fact that they're able to pack it out and you know it, it gets as loud as it does because of the size of the arena. Uh, I think it would do them a little bit of a disservice, in my opinion, if they did end up playing at at Shy uh, Health uh, for their particular game, but. I, I think it would make for a great showing if they chose to do it. I think the fans would certainly get behind it and, and pack up the arena uh, as much as they could. Yeah. Uh, obviously. Um, but it, yeah, it would be pretty cool. I think there was a year uh, when I was playing where the ladies played Kansas uh, before we did yeah. uh, in a non-conference game. And we had a big game right after that one too. Um, somebody coming into uh, CenturyLink at the time. I don't quite remember who it was now you know foggy memory being 30 years old and all geez i'm old but uh (laughs) yeah no i I would like to see it and and to make a double header out of it to make an event out of it obviously you'd find a way to you know get the student section packed for both games i think it it could bode well if they organize it uh the right way but i do think that the girls do have an advantage playing at at Sokol, and uh, they would kind of miss a little bit of that moving to to uh shy health 
Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of with you on it'd be neat to see, but I don't necessarily know if I want it to happen because it wouldn't be like a home game for Creighton. Like it would be like it would be a home game, but it wouldn't be their home. You know what I mean? Like that's the yeah. thing. Like CHI is Creighton's home arena, but it's 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 neutral. It'd be neutral from a basketball standpoint because you're not used to the sight lines. Mm-hmm. You're not used to the just the cavernous nature of it. Like I think that they would feel more like more of that hype playing in their own gym, like at SoCal. So I, I don't love the idea of the double header just because it's Nebraska. Like I think if you're gonna do the double header, do it for anybody. But if you're mm-hmm. if you're talking about Creighton playing Nebraska, like that they want to maximize their environment, I think Sokol is where they want that game. You know what I mean? So like, right. I'm, I'm and then I also think uh, I I don't want in either way for any of the games to be overshined by the other. You know, yeah, yeah, I think yeah right. Exactly. If having one game on a Tuesday and the other game on a Thursday means that all eyes are going to be on both games on those two separate exactly. uh, days, which brings an advantage to both uh, home teams in that situation, which will be us. Uh, just like it was Nebraska uh, the last two days. So, yeah, I totally uh, agree. Yeah, I, I just don't want to take away from the shine that the girls have worked so hard to get, obviously, and that the guys have worked so hard to get in, in their own right. Uh, just having two separate games. <clears throat> I agree that it would look cool, but just having yeah. it on two separate days the way that, that uh, we've done it traditionally. Plus, it's like, you know what I mean, asking – a fan base to sit through four hours in the arena. Like that's, <laughs> I didn't even think you know about I mean? that part. Yeah. Not, I don't know if there's enough beer in the world that'll make that feasible. Yeah. So uh, yeah. there, there is a Nebraska. There's enough bug cakes. I can promise the- you that. <laughs> I can promise you that. That's the one thing that we don't have to worry about is, Oh, is there going to be enough beer consumption between a four-hour experience with a bunch but, of Nebraskans in the stands? But whoever Ooh. goes, whoever goes, whoever goes second is going to have to deal with a nappy crowd. Like they're going to fall asleep at some point, right? You know, like that's a lot of carbs. No, no. Okay, they'll, they'll figure it out. They'll figure, they'll it, figure out. it out. <laughs> He's yeah. confident that the beer will help. <laughs> Look, uh, with a decade of being at College World Series, I know that okay. that environment could be up at the butt crack of dawn all the way up until a yeah 11:30 extra innings game between Florida State and Oregon State. You know what I mean? So it's I may, just like I may, uh, I may have a personal I, I know who our people are from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember about I know who our people are who are in the crowd. I know who they are. They're my people too, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I have a bout with heat stroke I could tell you about from Rosenblatt days that oh geez involved some 9 a.m. beers that were not a good start for the afternoon. So yeah, it's okay. Right. I know what you're talking about. I got you. Um next question. Uh did Nemhard's performance and the victory over Nebraska impact your opinion on what Creighton's ceiling is this season? Interesting question. Uh you want to go first? Go with that one. Did it impact my opinion? No, it did not. Yeah, did it? Did no, Nemhard? Did, did, did the fact that Creighton's like, yeah, did Nemhard taking over the game? So like, there's a legit PG one right there, um, mm-hmm. playing well on the road against a power six school. Like, did it affect your opinion on Creighton's ceiling going that maybe you didn't have going? It, it did not because as biased of a fan as I am, uh, I almost 
I'm also realistic. This is a young team who has not had a lot of time to get together and gel together. So there are going to be some growing pains that are going to come. It's almost inevitable. Yeah. So that's why my number one word for this year is patience with this group. We have to exercise patience. Yes, it's a great victory. Yes, it's good to see the players moxie and swag and and all of that as they go into a tough road environment and beat their rivals. Yeah, that, that's all well and done. But there are going to be some growing pains. Uh, and, you know, like, I don't think I'm saying anything that's supposed to shock any Blue Jay fan out there. You know, like, I think we should expect at some point for the team to stumble a little bit and to get their stuff together and then to right the ship at some point uh, again. So we're going to have to continue to exercise patience. Like Coach Mack has a, a, fav- a favorite saying of mine that Coach Mack says is, you know, it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. The truth is usually somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, we kind of have to keep that mindset with this team moving forward. Yeah. I think uh, – I think I mostly – look, I think before, I mostly before agree you, with you. Yeah, I think I mostly agree. Uh, I was going to say before you let that thought out, because I feel like you're going to say something very intelligent. If I'm coach Mac today and I'm talking to the team and if I feel like the players are still super hot on what they did at Nebraska, yeah, I'm a little worried about that. And I remind them, yeah, it was a great game, but guys, we beat Nebraska. And what is Nebraska supposed to be this year? I don't think Nebraska is supposed to be an NCAA tournament team this year. Not in my opinion, not from what I, when what I've seen. They already lost to Western Illinois. Pundit, you listen to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they always they always have the hype show at this point. I don't know. Right, you lose to Western Illinois at home on the very first game of the season. Yeah, you come back and you you win your second game. You lose to Crane, your third game of the season. They're not looking like an NCAA tournament team in the early portion of the year so far to me. So if I'm Coach Mack, I'm reminding the guys like, look, I understand this was a very big win, and we love that we beat our rivals, but we have a bigger plan moving forward and we should not be so excited about, you know, beating Nebraska. If I'm coach Mac, that's a part of the message that I'm relaying to the guys in the locker room. Okay. I just, before I give my answer to this question, I want you to know, and I want the listeners to know that it's not lost on me that you still feel something about this rivalry based on the jab you just took. Like, don't think I didn't pick up on that little passive aggressiveness there. <laughs> uh, what you talking about, bro? Hey, man. Hey, okay. Anyway, anyway. Anyway. Hey. <laughs> anyway. Oh, look, look. I, I love that you just said that because I do remember my senior year. Because you know I'm an NCAA tournament conspiracy theorist. We talked about that yeah, last yeah. time oh, yeah. uh, when we were in the, the my there's senior no, year. No trauma there for you to believe it. Yeah. When when I saw that if we had beat uh, Louisiana Lafayette and the next matchup was Baylor versus Nebraska, I'm like, yo, they're trying to set us up, man. Mm-hmm. They're trying to have this be Crane versus Nebraska in the tournament because, like, I was just like, we already beat them already. Like, we have nothing to prove to these guys. Like, this is just a trap. Like, they're just trying yes. to set us up. Yeah. Turns out Baylor beat them and then ultimately beat us, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I will forever have – venom towards who was i talking to the other day that was just like because i would like to get into coaching once my basketball playing career is all said and done right and someone asked me like so what if nebraska offers you a job out of uh, right after you're definitely will you take that assistant job or whatever and i was like oh i don't know if i can do that (laughs) 
and that's a good job like that is a great collegiate basketball job look at you but i don't know i don't know i i can't see myself wearing all that red and all that adidas i don't yeah, know he, he can't shake those principles look at that look at that yeah yeah Nebraska, shout out to you Wichita, nebraska come calling with like five million dollar blank check You're like oh i don't know guys like Oh, no. Hey, shout out to D Rock for implementing it like so early on the <laughs> on the recruiting. Young Johansmatic, yeah, right on the recruiting trail, right on the recruiting. <laughs> Dude comes in here from Canada, has no idea what's going on. It's like, oh, do I hate? Oh, okay, I guess I hate them. All right, yeah, then. there it is. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Anyway, my answer to that question is like the thing that I, I kind of agree with uh with Jay that the ceiling doesn't change all that much because there are still going to be um, the downs in the seat. Like I think the season's going to be up and down. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be a little bit of a roller coaster, and that they're going to take some lumps still. Um, even though they survived them so far, like that, you know, I think you could argue that these three performances haven't been Creighton's A game. Um, so there's something to be said for the fact that they won all three. I'm not. It's not. That's not lost on me at all. But I do think that there's still more. There's still more ups and downs coming. The thing that Nemhart's performance does to maybe, maybe change uh, the ceiling a little bit for me or to raise it a little bit is four for five from three. Like, I didn't know if that was going to happen this early on for him because that's kind of the one area of his game that he even would tell you has to be refined a little bit. But he shot the ball really well in the last FIBA tournament he played. Um, I think he was around 39% from three. Uh in that one so that's pretty good and then i know he's been working on it a lot in the gym at the uh, at the cc and to see him go four for five in the rivalry game against nebraska and i'm honestly like it wasn't like he was rattling in those threes like they were the net was barely moving so yeah um yeah that that might that raised my eyebrow a little bit like oh okay if he can if he can be like kind of a reliable three-point shooter where you know, teams can't automatically go under screens on him. That that allows him to operate a little bit differently in ball screens, and he's a master in ball screens. So that's what I'm curious about, to see how much that four for five type of performance, how much that translates. How consistent can he be from the three-point line? Um, that might alter Creighton's ceiling quite a bit for me. So we'll see how much that goes, that changes going forward. Um, but that was mm-hmm. that that did raise my eyebrows a little bit, seeing him shoot like that. <clears throat> um, next question is, what do you see Sharif's role being when he's back to full health? Will he spend much time on the floor with R2? Um, and does he eliminate Roddy's minutes? So we got kind of like a three-pronged question there. Um, let's see. I mean, I think Sharif's going to have a big role on this team. Like, I- I'm curious to see if he – if if, if uh, once he gets rocking, if, like, Mac will adjust the starting lineup at all. Because here's the – here's the thing that Creighton's going to run into at some point when Sharif is ready to rock. Mac's been very, um, very specific in terms of how he feels about uh, Arthur Kaluma, Ryan Hawkins, and both Keyshawn Fiesel and Ryan Kaufman. So like there's going to be a minute split the five. I think we know that, but Kalkbrenner or uh, not Kalkbrenner, Kaluma and Hawkins. He doesn't want those guys splitting 40 minutes. Like he thinks that they're, mm-hmm. that they need to be 25 plus in the 30 range some nights to be for the Jays to be successful. 
So that that creates something of a little bit of a log jam at, once you go down the line because Alex O'Connell has to play, Trey Alexander has to play, Ryan Nemhart has to play. So where does Sharif fit into that? Um, I do see it eating into Roddy's minutes a little bit because I think you're going to want Sharif to run point at some point, at some points in games. And I also think you're going to want to play Sharif and Ryan Nemhart at, on the floor at the same time because of the pace they can establish when they're both out there together. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, that's going to be interesting to watch because when Sharif gets <clears> right, <throat> Mac has a lot of trust in him, uh, obviously on the defensive floor, but also to establish Creighton's pace offensively. So it'll be interesting to see how how McDermott handles the rotations once Sharif is ready to rock. What do you think? It's a tough question. I, I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier when I said that, you know, when him and Nemhart, this is going to happen. Him and Nemhart are going to be on the floor together. Yes. I don't know for what extent amount of time, but in my opinion, that's a decision that Coach Mack where he says, okay, Sharif, you're handling the ball. Nemhart being the better shooter at this stage of their careers, you're going to be playing off the ball a little bit and you're going to be in a lot more closeout situations where you don't have to worry about creating your own shot off of dribble drive or off of immediate ball screens, right? And I think that'll bode well for both of those guys. As far as the minutes concerned with with how Mac is going to balance everything, I think he pushes Sharif up a little bit. I think he takes Trey Alexander. He pulls him back just a touch, uh, and he manages those minutes in, in that situation. I love Kaluma and Hawkins on the floor together. Uh, and that was a question that I had coming in, is who's going to back up who? Coach Mack kind of proved, you know, we could move Kaluma at the three and have him play more of that, you know, uh, three and D, you know, catch and shoot, catch and off the dribble guy. And if he's got an advantage inside, run sets for the three to go inside and post up, you know, and get him a touch on the block that way. Uh, so I don't think that should change. But I think those four guards are just going to have to figure out uh, a way to, to split those minutes. And obviously we spoke about the importance of O'Connell. Uh, we spoke about, you know, Trey Alexander, you know, obviously stepping up in a moment where he really needed to the other night. But I really think that those four guys are really going to have to split the minutes. And the way that Coach Mack does that is to pull Trey back a little bit, just a, just a touch instead of 20, uh, whatever amount of minutes that he had the other day, 25, I think, right? Because of Kaluma's foul trouble. Yeah. I think he's over in that, like, think, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. He, I think he's over in that, like, 15 the 18 range, um, you know, and in that coach Frank is probably going to challenge him to do as much as he can and to really exert himself during the time that he has, because, you know, as a freshman coming in, I have to go through it too. You know, you, you kind of get spot minutes and the coaching staff kind of feels where you're at, how much they can give you, or, or if you need to pull you back uh, some more. Um, so when I first came in, I remember I, I was like, okay, I'm about to play for three minutes straight and I need to exhaust myself for those three minutes, right? And just kind of earn the trust of the coaching staff to get some more playing time. So I think Trey Alexander is going to kind of fit into that role a little bit as Sharif comes back because Sharif has already earned the trust of Coach Mack and he, now he just needs to get his legs under him and before he's really rocking and rolling out there on the court. Yeah, I'm just looking up your game log real quick because I don't believe that you had spot minutes. Early on in my career? Absolutely. My first start okay, was against all right, Indiana all right. State. You weren't, yep. quite, you weren't quite a 30-minute beast until later in the season. All right, that's fair. Right. 
My first like, one there's was a couple, there's a couple under, Amsterdam there's a couple under twenties in here. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. Is Well, at that time you want to talk about log jam Antoine young yeah. was by far and away our, our only point guard. I had to back him up some, but I was nearly as talented at running a team as he was. Mm. And then in front of me was Daryl Ashford was Caleb Corver was Josh Jones. Yeah. So you know, the minutes that I got, I just knew that, you know, it's going to be two minutes there, three minutes there, but I just need to exhaust myself and do something to, to convince the coaches that I need to be out there more, which when that eventually started happening, I realized, oh, crap, I'm fucking gassed right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I exerted everything that I had. I didn't think they were going to What's leave that? me on for a six, seven minute stretch. <laughs> I think I see a 36, a 36 minute game at Akron, I think is your first big jump. So that was probably like. Uh, I'm tired. That's like, oh yeah, yeah. That's freshman year. Yeah, that's on. The that was the first time. That was the first time you exceeded one. thirty, and he played the whole game basically. So, yeah, like four yeah. minutes, four so minutes, four minutes is basically one rotation off the bench, right? Like you said. Yeah, like, that's pretty much him taking me out of the first media timeout, putting me back in in the second media timeout, yeah. and not looking back after yeah, that. Exactly. The Canadian Red Bull was off and running. Um, there it is. Yeah, let's see. Let's go back to Twitter here. As if you have to pull out my game log. Is there no hey, I, thought, I was like, like, wait a minute. I remember this dude playing minutes. Hold up. I, I, I played. Oh, I'm never going to uh, complain about the minutes that Matt gave me ever. I'm never going to do that. But I do remember early on, like super mm. early on in freshman year, I had to earn that trust. And yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Trey Alexander is going to have to do something similar to that. Got you. Which he, know, he's I, on the right path. I just figured. I thought I was like, I don't know why, but I I don't ever remember you being a role player. I was like, Jay was thirty five minutes with slapping floors the whole time. So that was a good memory there. I had to remember. It was you had to work towards that. Sorry. Um, favorite moment from the game is our next question. So the there was a couple options offered up. Do you want me to tell you what they said, or do you want to just go off fly with your favorite memory is or moment from the game is? Uh, I mean, I called Brenner yelling for me. That's what it is. Hawkins okay. dagger three for sure. Um, oh, uh, Nemhard knocking down a shot, going back and talking trash to Webster. Okay. Absolutely love that. <laughs> it sounds Canada like you, it sounds up. like you like all the trash talk moments. What you like? Canada stand up. I love that. I absolutely love that. I'm like, okay, young man, let's get it, young man, let's go. I was very excited about that. But so those are the top three. I want to hear what the fans say, but like just off mm-hmm. the top of my head, those are the ones that I really remember. Um, I think they all agree with you. Uh, Calk dunk over Breidenbach. He screamed after that one. I think he oh, knocked his goggles off. When I did it. Yeah. I love that one too. Yeah. Um, Nemhard's nine point flurry, Hawkins late threes, Sharif step back is what they were they suggested. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are all I can't believe uh, I can't believe Sharif's little ooh, that little scoop layup didn't get more love. I thought that little scoop layup was gonna get more love. Yeah, I think uh I'm gonna I'm my favorite moment I'm gonna end up stealing uh Joe's here is that nine point flurry by Nemhard because it happens so fast and like and I felt like it was the key to the game coming in. Who's going to establish transition, uh, transition offense? Who's going to establish pace? And I felt like the team that did that first was going to win this game because I thought they were just going to get on too much of a roll, uh, and then it was going to be uphill for the rest for the opponent after that. So, like, mm-hmm. it was sixteen ten, um, and I think Alex O'Connell skied for an inbounds pass at the elbow, picked it off. Like, yeah, it, it hits the deck, he just pitches it over to Nemhard, who just shot out of a cannon, mm-hmm. 
right down uh, the right sideline in front of the Nebraska bench, all the way to the hoop, elevated. I mean, he probably could have dunked that thing, honestly, if he had gone over the top. But he elevated way up there, finished it through contact, um, hit the free throw for the three-point play. Then he comes Mm -hmm. down, uh, plays really good defense on Alonzo Verge, forces a tough shot. Um, Creighton gets off in transition again. Trey Alexander, again, we're talking about principles of what Creighton does, how disciplined they were. Trey Alexander um, comes down in transition, puts two feet in the paint, draws in a help defender, kicks out to Nemhard, three ball from the wing, bang. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, Nemhard plays really good defense on Alonzo Verge, who's like, you know, a scorer by nature, running the one for Nebraska, and he's like pissed mm-hmm. right now. He's like trying to get some points back for the Huskers. yeah, of course. Takes another ill-advised fadeaway, tough two over Nemhard, extended arms, good contest. Um, uh, Alex O'Connell comes flying in for the rebound, one of his nine, uh, grabs it, initiates the transition break, gets it to the middle of the floor. Hello. Again, the fundamentals. Pitch back. When you're in transition, yeah. get to the middle of the floor, space that thing, stretch the defense out, make plays off of it. He gets it to the middle of the floor, comes to the top of the key, just drops it off for Nemhard kind of sets one of those little like shifty moving screens. Nebraska screws up the communication. Nemhard rises up, bang, net doesn't even move. And it was like nine points. And, it, and I went back and timed it. Just everything from the minute Creighton got the ball to when they got the bucket, it took 20 seconds for them to get nine nice. points out of that. That's flying. That's flying. That, uh, well, I mean, Verge helped him out a lot with ill-advised shots. No, for, for sure. sure. No, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which – which was, you know, kind of a blessing discussed in Nebraska because Horbert pulls him out, throws Webster in there, and that kind of changes yeah. the outcome of the game immediately. For sure. <laughs> but uh, that uh, O'Connell pitch back to Nemhard gave me such Austin and Ethan Rogge vibes. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. I, I've seen that. I saw it coming because I just kind of saw, like, O'Connell as he's dribbling, head on a swivel, kind of, like, reading the situation. And I'm just like, yeah. oh, Ryan's right behind him. Is he going to give it to him? And once he did, and I saw that, like, before he let it fly, I just knew, like, that was going in. Yeah. And, God, I just, oh, I miss, I miss suiting up for the boys, man. <laughs> those those moments like that are the ones that, like, really, like, lets me know that Coach Mack hasn't wavered too far away from who he really is. Mm-hmm. Like, he loves pace. He loves space. He allows his players to feel confident in that system. And, you know, the proof is in him putting right there. For sure, 100%. Yeah, I love that sequence. I thought – I thought it was a knockout blow, really. I, really I mean, you could feel mm-hmm. the crowd like, God dang it, here we go again. Like you could feel that right. um when that when that sequence went down. So that was that was really impressive by the Jays. Because they haven't like I don't know, they haven't had a sequence like that at that pace. Like even in mm-hmm. the opener against Arkansas Pine Bluff, they were kind of just like playing off of Pine Bluff's mistakes and then just getting out and one guy would break through the lane and dunk it. Like it wasn't a systematic <laughs> thing like it was the other night. Like that was impressive. Yeah. Um Brian wants us to give a grade of the Jays performance in segments. So like grade the offense, grade the defense, grade the overall performance. How would you where does it sit for you? Uh I'll go overall first. I'll give um I'll give them a B plus. I'll give them yeah. a B plus. Too many turnovers for my liking for them to get an A. Yeah. Uh, they, they certainly saw some grit and some toughness and some poise. Uh, that's always positive things. I think offensively, I, I think I'll give them a B plus offensively too. Again, just just too many turnovers. I'll give them an 
A for defense, because like I said, Nebraska was making some crazy shots that were challenged. It wasn't sustainable what they were doing if they were really trying to beat the Jays. Uh, the way that they got their points, especially early on uh, when they were starting their 18 to 2 run or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. um, it just it wasn't sustainable. So I thought the Jays did a good job of blocking in defensively, even though it didn't look great in, in spurts. So I'll give them an A for defense i'll give them uh b plus offensively and a b plus overall does that even does that even go to get a minus yeah, I overall i, I guess that technically yeah, i'm not really yeah. sure <laughs> a minus <laughs> overall i guess technically yeah. then yeah uh i just i didn't want to give him an a because the turnovers did too much range so how about this how about b minus offensively because i just thought they were just too sloppy with the ball yeah, so I think it well, it's tough too because we kind of have to grade on what we think Creighton ceiling is, don't we? Like, right. So and, uh, that, but that's why I think because you know defense has never we've never been like the team that just is known for their tough gritty defense, right? right. So like the defense that we uh, are accustomed to are, you know, when we need them, can we get the stops? for the majority of the time it's been, yeah, yeah. When we need them, when we really need them, we were able to figure it out. Are we a team that's going to just shut you out from beginning to end? No, we're not the 40 minutes of hell like Arkansas used to be or anything like that. Like that's not who we are. Uh, And we're an offensive team that likes to use our pace to our advantage. So it kind of sacrifices a little bit on the defensive end. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's why I'm giving them uh, an A defensively because, uh, for who we are and and who we're supposed to be, that's about as good of a defensive job as they've done. Again, forcing Nebraska to take and make really tough shots doesn't mean that your defense is bad. It means that they just made the tough shots that you're forcing them to take. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm uh, right along the lines with you. I think I'm going to give the offense a C because 16 turnovers, is, 16 turnovers is one thing, but nine of them were live ball. That's 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 That cannot happen. Um, way mm-hmm. too many, especially when you're facing a team that's really good in transition like Nebraska is, like you're feeding into the, their bread and butter there. So I think nine live ball turnovers on the road is not a sustainable uh, path to success. And they also shot 11 right. of 20. They also uh, shot 11 of 20 at the free throw line um, and missed a couple front ends late that, you know, if you're facing a team that can bang home some threes, um, you might have been in a different situation at the end of that game there. Um, so I'm going to mm-hmm. go with a C because I think that those two areas worked against the good just enough to um, keep it out of the A, B territory, but still give it a passing grade. Um so I think there's some things there that they can clean up still offensively. Uh, obviously, the good is that they shot 10 for 23 from three. They were 36% in the first half. They were 50% in the second half. It's really good of uh, 40 minutes of three-point shooting right there, good balance. It wasn't just one half of hot shooting. Um, and I thought they were really good inside in terms of like, you know, I thought Nemhard finished well. I thought Kalkbenner finished pretty well. Um O'Connell had a, you know, the floater game working. So um, I think there were elements of the offense that were, there were elements of the offense that were in the A, A plus territory. And then there were some elements of the offense that were kind of in the DNF territory. So I'm going to settle mm-hmm. in the middle and give it a C. Um, defensively, I mean, obviously Bryce McGowan's going three for 10 is really good. Um, 
And like you said, even though Kobe Webster did just catch fire, uh, it wasn't like he was like in rhythm. You know what I mean? They weren't giving mm-hmm. up rhythm, step in threes. So I think that he was flinging him up there, man. Oh, was his crazy. feet weren't even under him on some of those. Like, okay, right. <laughs> Jesus. Um, it was crazy. Uh, so yeah, defensively, I think they're, I, I'm, I'm going to go with a solid B plus. I thought they rebounded really well. I think what they were 37 of 46 on the defensive glass. Yeah. Um, probably need to force a few more turnovers like Nebraska for Nebraska to have seven turnovers. That's a, per, that's low for how chaotic they play. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that they Creighton could still try to figure out a way to turn teams over more, especially if they're going to, um, still have that issue with themselves offensively. So, I'm going to go B plus. I thought they shut down the primary scoring option for the Huskers, which means they followed game plan. Um, they made Nebraska take tough shots and they cleaned up the defensive glass pretty well. So I'm going to give it a B plus because on the road against a team like that is, um, you know, that has a potential to go off on you. Also, they kept Nebraska off the free throw line. I forgot that part. That was a main huge part of the game. We talked about that earlier, right? Nebraska yeah, shot the Cogbrenner. Yeah, Nebraska shot 67 free throws in their first two games. They only got to the line. They only drew four shooting fouls all night tonight or on Tuesday. So big, big time performance defensively to keep them off the free throw line and not let Nebraska steal points that way. So I'm going to go with a B-plus defensively. And I think – I don't know what that gives me overall. C, B-plus, a B performance right there. Yeah. 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 I think I think I think, I think, it, was, I think bit, it was but... good. Yeah. I think it was good, not great. I think the Jays – have uh, better performances in them um but you know like you said they don't it doesn't need they don't need to be at their best to beat um this version of nebraska yet so it was good enough oh is that a jab because yes, i had a job earlier that no, got out. <laughs> yeah but i'm not gonna hide that was a jab 100 i have to <laughs> i have to deal with this passive aggressiveness year round man i i'm always i'm yeah. always i'm always taking jabs i hear you yeah i gotta keep my guard constantly um, our boy Jacob Badilla has the last question for us. Um, mm-hmm. As someone who's been in that same position, oh, respect to the Canadian Red Bull lockdown D man, Jans Maniga. I'm curious to hear. <laughs> He's bowing for everybody that can't see this right now. We're only <laughs> so. um, there's Jahans's flowers right there. I'm curious to hear Jahans's thoughts on what he saw from Alex defensively, Alex O'Connell defensively in this game on Bryce McGowan's and his overall performance and growth on that end this season we talked about it a little bit earlier how stepping up to that defensive challenge we're going to need aj or two to certainly do that on a night and night out basis so uh if he's willing to do that i said the athletic guys in my opinion if they just have the right mindset of i'm just gonna shut this guy's water off they certainly have all the god-given ability to do so alex o'connell is strong he's long he's athletic uh, he seems like he's got some decent instincts about him. Now it's just what kind of Alex O'Connell are we going to see from a defensive standpoint on a night-in, night-out basis. Mm-hmm. So I, I love to see it. I always try to push guys to really focus on that end of the, of the game because, you know, offensively, especially in the J system, you're going to find shots. Uh, I don't subscribe to the line of thinking that if you play for the Jays, you need to hunt your own shots. Like Coach Mack mm-hmm. is going to put you and the others in positions for you to be successful offensively. Now, whether or not you put in the extra work uh, in the practice court or by yourself to knock down those shots when they come to you, that's totally up to you. 
mm-hmm. uh, but it's not for a lack of, you know, the system or, you know, what you can and can't do offensively. Defensively, though, on the other end, that's all about you. That's all about your want to, your desire to, your willingness to sacrifice and really put more energy on that end of the floor than you would on the offensive end. Uh, we talked about Alex Connell being a fifth-year senior and him finally kind of understanding that that's what he's going to need uh, because he, this is the third game in a row where you can really see him like accept the defensive challenge. Um, and I just hope that he continues forward uh, with this kind of attitude and mentality because the Jays are going to need it. Sharif is getting back healthy. He's still not at 100% as we saw. But those two guys really locked in defensively can easily terrorize some of these uh, opposing guards as we get closer to conference play. And, you know, we're going to need that as the year prog- progresses. Gotcha. And the other aspect of that question was, uh, what did you note from Alex's performance on Bryce McGowan's that like allowed him to, you know, make him inefficient? Because he was the Big Ten freshman of the week coming in. He was averaging 25 mm-hmm. points a game. What did, what did you see from Alex that he was able to do to, you know, just, you know, be there on the catch, limit touches, and make it a tough night for him overall? Well, I, I think – McGowan was feeling himself a little bit too much, especially early on with his shot selection. And he kind of played himself into the way that Alex McConnell wanted to defend him because he took some wild shots that didn't go in. There was a little bit of self-doubt that settled in. You could kind of see it in his face, young, inexperienced, a little bit of self-doubt settled in for him. Uh, Started missing, you know, shots that maybe he would make on on another night, but now he's being challenged by Alex's pressure defensively. but what he did more than anything was just simply fight, fight off down screens, fight off down uh, ball screens, fight off down screens, really challenge shots. The only two mistakes that Alex made was to give up two back doors. If yeah. not, you're looking at a two point game where he's one of 10 as opposed to three of 10 or whatever that, that final uh, field goal uh, percentage was. So. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, there's, there's not much you can fault for Alex. He just kind of fell asleep uh, twice and it cost them. Uh, but, you know, it, it didn't really allow McGowan to get going, which is, you know, the, the critical part in all this. Right. And he never, I don't think he got to the free throw line at all either. No, he didn't. Or Nope. Didn't no, he yeah. did not. Yeah. And I think he was, I think he was double digit free throw attempts in both the first two games. So that's a really good yeah. job by Alex too. To like, yeah, like you said, if you're giving up backdoor, one, like you didn't foul to make it worse. Two, you never put him at the free throw line. That's really good. That's really good defense. Right. So, yeah. And, and you could tell, like, this is a little bit of a new role for him because in those two instances, you could tell Alex was just getting a little overzealous. Like, yeah. I know an action is coming this way and I need to beat the action. No, sometimes you just kind of have to settle in and understand, like, the action is coming. I'm just going to have to bust my way through there and fight through there as opposed to over-anticipate. And then allowing a guy to, you know, kind of be a basketball player and read off your movement and just go back the door on you. So that's a field thing defensively, right? That just comes with more reps doing that. Yeah, it, it, it just comes with reps and it just comes with understanding that if you're defending the main guy, your mindset on every defensive trip is an action is coming for this individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I can only speak on experience when I had to face Alan Crabb out in the West Coast when we played Cal. It was just like, there's going to be down screens, flare screens for him all night. I'm just going to have to bust my butt and get through these screens. And it's going to be tough, but I also have to trust the fact that if I ever do get caught on the screen, I'll have awesome Jack Chapman covering my back, jumping to the ball for me to cover me for a split second. I have Gregory Echenique protecting me. If I ever get beat on the dribble drive kind of situation, 
and you know and our defense is uh made so that we can shift and rotate and you know kind of take the pressure off of me a little bit so my job was just to fight as hard as I had to yeah. I think O'Connell is going to kind of understand that as the season goes on as well they're like look I don't need to be overzealous and overreach to stop guys I just have to be fundamental in what coach Mack and, and the coaching staff is telling me to do and just fight like heck to just get through these screens and these tough situations well a big part of it too for a defensive guy like you know where your help is so you're not blind mm-hmm. out there right so like as much as the offense right. is trying to set up like how Bryce McGowan's to get him to his strong hand and to get him to his spots like Alex knows mm-hmm. where his help is in accordance with um his positioning too so if Alex is like trying to anticipate he needs to anticipate to the point where he can funnel it to his help right right yeah and like I said like if you look back on those film uh, the ball was on the high post on one of them. Uh, McGowan was in the corner. Kind of looks like a dribble handoff was supposed to happen. And if mm-hmm. you look at Alex's body positioning, his right shoulder is already leaning towards where the handoff is going to be. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's just a, a step with the left foot plant from McGowan backdoor cut, and it's a dunk. And I think a similar play happened. I, I don't quite remember as vividly as that one because that's the one that really stood out for me. But it was kind of a similar play that happened on a couple of possessions down again. Same kind of deal where you see like you're just leaning towards where you think the action is actually going. Mm-hmm. And a guy who's a scorer and talented as McGowan is, he's going to find ways to, yeah. you know, move himself into positions to score. And he just caught Alex slipping twice. But those are the only two mistakes you can point out of, sure. of a whole yeah. night of, of tough defensive work from Alex. So. And, the, and in those instances, like baseline, the baseline is where Creighton doesn't want you to go. So mm-hmm. I think both of those cuts went baseline. So for Alex, yeah. like you have to overplay that. And like, if he's going to back cut you, make him back cut you put, in the middle. Put, of the yeah. yeah. Push him back up the floor as opposed to behind you. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Oh man. Love to pick in your brain about defense. I could do it all night. Seriously. I'm a mark for that stuff. <laughs> Um, I'm not quite the savant, but I know a little son. Hey man, you were gritty too. Like don't get, give yourself some yeah. credit. Um <laughs> I think that's all of our questions. Appreciate everybody uh, chiming in with uh, their thoughts and comments. As always, it's been like they, really good questions this year. I think they're asking, uh, making us get in into the you know nitty gritty of the game, and I like doing that. So, um, yeah. So I appreciate Jahan's Manigot for taking time out of his. What is it like midnight there now in Poland? Um, Distract midnight, baby. Okay, let's go. Uh, yeah. yeah, so he's he needs to get to bed, get some sleep. He's a professional mm-hmm. athlete, got to fine tune that body. Um, I let the people know where they can uh find your podcast though, like the field you're still doing your still doing your thing with the field of 68 this year again for the J. Yep, still at the field of 68 media network. So, like and subscribe us on Twitter. Uh, you know, it's the welcome to the J podcast. I chose that name specifically for the real crane fans who know all about the J and know all about <laughs> catching a beer or two uh post or pre-game uh depending on your situation if you're a fan or if you're a current player or whatever the case may be so the welcome to the j podcast you can find us on spotify and on uh apple Podcasts as well and i've just been having a blast talking to you know former teammates current players current coaches former coaches uh it's been a, a whole lot of fun and i just hope that you know this year which is our second season doing it is going to be just as fun as last year. Uh, we just had Will Artino on the podcast breaking down the Nebraska game. So if you guys want some more Nebraska breakdown uh, with two, another salty 
former player who hates the Huskers as much as I do, <laughs> then I would advise you to listen to the one uh, that is going to be uploaded shortly with myself and Will Artino. So, uh, but I appreciate you guys. Like I, this past summer being back in Omaha after the pandemic, I got so much love with people telling me that they're listening and that they're paying attention and I'm doing a good job. If you guys keep listening, I'll keep talking. I don't think I'll ever run out of words if you guys choose to listen to Thanks. me. So I appreciate you guys. And obviously, Matt, I appreciate you. You've been kind of an OG for me in this uh, little media section that I found myself in. And, uh, you know, I, I love chopping up with you anything Jay's related for sure. So uh, thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. It was my pleasure, sir. So, yeah, the, we'll have this uh, up on, <clears throat> excuse me, up on White and Blue Review Network on iTunes. So subscribe there and you'll see it hit. Um, hey yeah, man, yeah, get me on Scary in the Scrub. Get me on yeah, 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 we gotta, yeah, yeah, we gotta make that happen guy. for sure. That's right. I'm talking to my guy, Jordan, man. I haven't <laughs> seen my guy in a minute. Yeah, Jay's got to make his his uh debut on Scary in the Scrub, so we'll get that locked in soon for sure. Um, yeah, so I appreciate everybody tuning in. Always appreciate you guys' feedback, your comments, your questions. Uh, keep tuning in. Thank you very much for the support. Um, so yeah, check out this podcast on iTunes, whiteandbluereview.com for all the coverage. Uh, thank you to Jahans Managa. Uh, for Jahans, I'm Matt. Thank you for tuning in. We will talk to you after we record the next one. Have a good day, everybody.